0: Good nope. evening
1: nope. and welcome to Watch. Hmm. I don't know why they I don't know why this program uh container uh, announces itself. I have to talk to those folks. Um but anyway, I know you all are eagerly awaiting um uh part 2 of the three-part series where uh Yayay Louisa Tish and Miss Javlin Richards as the Voodoo Queen and Miss Pat um get together and just sort of chop it up around what's going on presently. However, uh the Voodoo Queen uh she was uh called away and had to take care of some other needs a little more um you know uh I don't know, more urgent than 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 uh joining us on the air. So they're gonna be back on Sunday June fourteenth. But in the meantime I, I thought it'd be really great to share with audiences uh, a um, show that I recorded hmm, maybe uh let's see now, about seven years ago, uh with um in July, July eleventh, with uh Jovelyn Richards, Miss Richards and uh we were talking about just sort of storytelling and building stories and and the importance of stories and storytelling uh way to sort of uh i guess kind of um give give our memories a a framework you know when we tell stories and so I was looking through uh my blog and noticed that I have actually interviewed um Javlin lots of times and uh and so, what I was thinking of doing is maybe sharing with you uh maybe the first play of hers that I saw, and that was about twelve years ago and it's called come home and and since then, uh you know Jovelin has written books and she's continued with her nappy hair haired love stories, and she's um facilitated uh, uh evening work. Where uh the uh, the playwright actors shared uh, some moments in their lives where they've um uh, overcome something really huge and and are sharing with us uh, maybe for the first time uh, that they've shared something of such magnitude in their lives with uh, with others and that that was really nice. She did that a couple of times. And and then she's hosted um a couple of uh trials. <laughs> and um and now um as I mentioned, um we're working on this um extemporaneous uh capture of of stories between um Miss Pat and the Voodoo Queen. So, I'm going to read this to you. Come home. I saw Joplin Richards play the evening before the film, Honey Dripper, and the two stories resonated. Come Home is set in Arkansas where 26 black men went to war and 13 came home. The actress squeezes the life from Miss D's husband. So affected by the loss of his friends, they haunt the couple's bed. Their eyes, Miss D's husband's eyes, when he looks down at her when they have sex. The veteran can't tell her about the horror, a horror that exists still in the town they live in and the people of that town. Nothing has changed since they went away and sacrificed their lives for a country which respected its enemy more than its citizens. The narrator describes Miss D's earlier relationship with her husband, first boyfriend. She counts his eyelashes, I don't quite get the analogy, but I like it. The way one knows that he knows that he loves me, he loves me not. The actress sings with her body and voice. The chorus, three women, pianists, percussionists, and violinists, are ground that catch the beautiful actress. Richards channels the spirit world, ancestors, and the energy of the trees which encircle her miss d at some point as she prays for her son's safety lightning designer stephanie ann johnson is inspired as she fills the stage with town folk and just as quickly empties it as the narrator speaks come home opens with a lynching of a young boy perhaps this was foreshadowing i didn't catch the couple have two children po boy who is crazy about his mom and looks just like his dad. The younger child is thunder. The family get along because even in the silence and the hurt places, there is love. Joblin's voice, Joblin Richard's voice and the character she portrays are so remarkably seductive. One can't help caring and then it happens and one wants to wish it away. Hasn't this family been hurt enough? It is the same when Pine Top rescues Sunny when he recognizes the hunger in his face. It is the same with Possum who plays his instrument for certain people to hear. In this case, Sunny and Pine Top. It is the same with Miles and Nina. Satellites and Aurora. And the baby is nag a nagging reminder that something is wrong. Something the parents need to fix inside. Come home is. Such a luscious play. The souls of black people give it breath. One can hear the playwright's conversations with relatives in Arkansas as a child. We can see the plow, hear the chickens in the yard, and catch the door before it hits the frame, just in case someone is resting. Ms. Richards said all her stories start in the same place, Arkansas. One can see Miss Lucy, who lives in all her stories. Miss Lucy is a mysterious woman who lived with the playwright's family when she was a little girl. Then Miss Lucy disappeared just as quickly as she came. Jovelin says, I think she was a victim of elder abuse, uh, as she recalls the woman who helped her mother for a year for room and board. Joplin Richards' work has an authenticity that is larger than any one community. Unless we're speaking of the human species, the way trauma can disrupt one's life is certainly central to this story, yet time rarely but time really does heal sometimes when one is faced with a similar trauma. When Thunder saw her brother carried off by a white mob and ran home to her father, he seemed to wake up the other thirteen men seemed to wake up too, as they recalled the time before war when they claimed their dignity and reclaimed it in that moment and went to address the terror in thunder's eyes it was a beautiful moment in the story that reminded me of zora Neale hurston's collection Spunk, when the piece gilead the piece uh gilded six bits the husband but because <laughs> when in the piece gilded six bits that story you know uh the husband forgives his wife in this case, the men forgive themselves and reclaim the love, not lost but abandoned in their grief for the 13 men who didn't return home and for a country which denied them their rights as citizens and as a people. And then um, continue that come home is at the marsh uh, in San Francisco, and uh, it ran for a little less than a month, January 31st through March 8th. And... Um, and uh, the show runs an un- uninterrupted seventy minutes and really needs an audience. The actress plays um, for who's there, but I like to see what it would feel like to have other energy present in the house. And so I I took I took some of my students uh, on that that March March sixth production of of this play go come home which like I said is really really marvelous. So now let me go back to the studio
0: <laughs>
1: where uh, let me tell you about what you're going to be be um listening to this evening, this rebroadcast. So it doesn't start with um uh it doesn't start with Jovelyn. It it actually um um she is um she's the last person, I'm trying to think, let me look. Um the, uh, the show starts with um Kim Mcmillan um, who is no stranger to these airwaves, and and she is um, uh, going to be um, talking about um, the Oakland literature Expo with penn oakland and again that happened quite a while ago and um, and then um and she also talks about a stage adaptation of the Brazilian director Carlos Degas' 1984 film uh, Quilombo, Dos Palomares, uh, uh, which looks at the 17th century um, slavery in Brazil. And um, and then uh, after she talks about the Free Writers on Writing program produced by the School of Humanities, uh, actually produced by the Women's National Book Association and the Oakland Public Library, which was um, July 14th, um, about seven years ago. Let's see, seven years ago. Uh, No, Uh, eight years ago. (laughs) Then uh, she's followed by uh, Javelin, yeah. And, And then we closed the show with a rebroadcast of an interview I had with Uh, Mavis Staples, which was phenomenal, and uh, yeah, that was really awesome. So that's the show, and again, uh, we'll be back with the Voodoo Queen and um, Miss Pat. We'll be back with them um, on the 14th of June at 7 p.m., so um, yeah, definitely put that in your date book so you don't miss it. And, uh, yeah, am really looking forward to sharing that with you. And um, I am, let's see, I'll be playing that for you just a second. Okay, here we go. All righty. Enjoy. just your imagination running away with you, yes, this is Wanda's Picks, a black arts and culture program for the African Sisters Media Network, and that is Renee Marie, uh, Just My Imagination, as you probably have not heard it sung before <laughs> on her latest CD, and I am playing it because we have a wonderful
2: woman who has a great
1: imagination, Kim McMillan, joining us in the studio. Good Morning Kim, how are you?
2: Oh, hey Wanda, I'm doing great. It's always wonderful hearing your voice.
1: <laughs> well, we're happy to have you with us. Um it's always a great you always have great news um, because you're such um, a proponent of the arts, particularly um literary arts here in the san francisco bay area and we 're so happy that you are with us and you haven 't decided to move to New York or leave the country or something like that and you have um you're producing a really wonderful event this weekend um a free event at that uh the Oakland Public Library and the Women's National Book Association, um, in conjunction, are doing this in conjunction um, right. with yourself. Uh, writers on Writing, and that's on Saturday, July fourteenth, from twelve to two at the uh, Rockridge Branch Library. So, why don't you tell us about this event um, that you are oh. hosting this weekend, and who's a part of this? Uh, you know, writers on writing. These women right. writers on writing.
2: Well, here here is a. The- it's a list of. By the way, thank you for having me on your show, Wanda. I really appreciate it. The list of authors includes award-winning Australian author and journalist Stephanie Dale, and she's going to talk about finding your inner, inner voice. Because when she basically walked from Rome into the Balkans, dodging landmines, and then into the Middle East, she kept a journal about the experience, and she has a program that she calls Song for the Soul, which she helps you to find that inner soul writing. Mm -hmm. And then we also have poet and composer Judith Cody, and Judith is a brilliant composer, and she's also working on Penn Oakland's anthology. She's the editor of Fighting Words, which should be be coming out at the very end of this year. And then Teresa Leon Ryan, who helps you create your own writing platform to build your brand as a writer so that when people see your name, they know what you're about. They know your writing style, just like when anyone sees the name – uh, uh, uh what's his, the, the peter uh, I can't remember it now, but the that 's terrible, <laughs> but some of those writers that write about spy novels, you know Grisham uh, who, who write a certain genre, when you see their name, you know what they're going to be about, and so mm-hmm. she helps you brand yourself as many writers already branded, and then we have a, a wonderful col- columnist, her name is Yolanda Barrio. And she is going to help you find your passion as a writer. And so this is a very interactive workshop. And then there is finally Joan Gelfin, who will basically de- deconstruct the whole process of how to get published. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the whole idea of this workshop is to find your voice and give substance to your voice and, and the actions that you need to take to get your voice out into the public
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: mhm right, wonderful, and you're actually a writer yourself um you have over plus you know you have twenty over twenty years experience producing theater in the bay area um and in uh nineteen eighty seven um there was a Ken Mcmillan event where you wrote, produced, and directed Voyages, a multimedia excursion into reincarnation at UC Berkeley's Zellebock Playhouse. And that's a great story that I hope you tell us. And then in 2000, uh, you wrote and produced Confessions of a Thespian, When Spirit and Theater Collide at the Julia Morgan Theater in Berkeley, and I was in the audience for that. And from 2001 to 2005, you produced The Oakland... Literature Expo with Penn Oakland as part of the City of Oakland's Art and Soul Festival. And that was really wonderful. Are you still doing that? Uh, Because Art and Soul is coming up early August in Oakland. Uh, No,
2: I haven't worked with Art and Soul. I I love the people there, but my whole picture is that I'm an advocate for writers and probably a little crazed about it. And the the City of Oakland was wonderful, but we're always changing locations. Mm-hmm. And so when I work with with a group i I really want to them to know that you know I've got your back, and um I will make sure that you're seen that you're heard and i just i i was are wonderful, but i think I think writers need to have their own venue mm-hmm. we We do not need to come in on anyone else's venue. Because we have to be, as writers, we have to be the center of our universe. And whenever you're in the middle of someone else's universe, you have to play by their rules. Mm -hmm. And so as writers, I, I really commend local writers, anything that they can do to promote each other, to work in unison, to work as a group, and to support the dissemination of information on the whole process of writing.
1: Mhm. Yeah. This past weekend, um, there was this um really great event, um uh uh Raphael Jesus um oh, I had, love an him. email about it. Yeah, um it looked really interesting. I wasn't able to go. Uh, let me let me tell you what it was called. It was it looked really fascinating. It was sort of like a marathon, um, and then afterwards there was a party. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it it sounded oh, really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and um and I it might have been free, I'm not sure, but um yeah, rafael um jesús gonzalez um he just does some really remarkable work when with keeping writing and literature out in the forefront um i remember he had he was a part of this writing in nature um event uh earlier this year like in the spring and, and this one here it had an interesting kind of mechanism um uh kind of i think there was like a crane or something on the flyer um i'll I'll come back to that um as as you um you talk more about, about your own work. And um currently you are um working on the stage adaptation of the Brazilian director, uh, Carlos uh how do you pronounce Carlos's last name?
2: Uh Diegas. Well it's Diegis. it's been kind of hard because the process I'm working with um it's funny, I I, I uh I had Eleanor Holdridge who oh, well, is the head of drama the-
1: Let's finish first, because uh, oh. people might not know Carlos Diego's um, 1984 oh, okay. um, film, Quilombo, Dos Palmares, um, on 17th century slavery in Brazil. And um, and then you know, I want to let people know also that you host a radio show called Arts in the Valley, and it can be heard on 1480 KYOS AM in California's San Joaquin Valley, as well as on Facebook. And well, you're right, right. And, and, and I do want to give Carlos his
2: props, mm-hmm. as you said, because... When I was, uh, I first started uh, looking at and seeing Carlos's work when I saw this incredible film called Chica de Silva in, in 1976, where they have this black woman who had such sexual prowess. And he, Carlos is a Brazilian filmmaker. And, uh, she was supposed to be able she was an African slave in this time, it was an 18th century African slave, and she was supposed to have this sexual ability, and it's a romanticized telling of a true story of an actual character. What I like about Carlos is he takes actual history and, and the history the true history, Chica da Silva, she was actually a slave that attracted um, attention from some very high up People, but in this, in the retelling of it, they made her where men could not resist her. And of course, as an African American woman, I I love this tale. <laughs> I was like, yes, finally, someone understands the the power of of blackness, mm-hmm. so to speak. And um, he also wrote another, um, wrote and directed another. Movie that I really really like, Bye Bye Brazil. So he's 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 done some major work. And w- when I had first had started having conversations with um, Carlos in the uh, let me see in the early 2000s, 2000, around 2006, early 2006, you know he says, Kim, you have so much passion about everything. Why don't you take my work? Because I told them that when I first saw Quilombo, it was the first movie that I ever saw on slavery. Oh, sorry, I, I was actually playing his music, <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> I when I saw on slavery that just I forgot where I was, and I just I just it was the idea of a black a group of black people so empowered that they could create a state, an actual community, Palmares, in, in a world of slavery where they were empowered, where they had power, where they were, were powerful. And, and that was just amazing. And then you read more about African history in the entire di- diaspora, and you realize that this wasn't the only one. It was the most famous where black people – in during slavery, created a community where they were were in power. But this was the most famous. But this was happening all over the world, including in the Americas, excuse me, including in the United States.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And right, so, yeah. and uh, he
1: actually has been here. Um, uh, he was a part of San Francisco um, Jazz Festival. I remember yeah. I hired you, but you were busy.
2: <laughs> you didn't tell me?
1: It was so fantastic, and, and, and I got a chance to meet him and his son. It was really like, whoa. Oh, how
2: long ago was this?
1: Oh, must have been two years ago.
2: Oh, Yeah, because no. so you like, I would went back and, and forth.
1: Yeah, you were busy because you're always so busy. And he's
2: like, okay, oh, uh, hey, I want to go. Next time, tell me. Oh. I, I haven't really talked to him lately. It's like I'm
1: always uh, like, uh, you I know uh, like, what, I, I when always I, thought I'm going to be high.
2: just, close to doing the movie, or I mean, excuse me, finishing the adaptation or getting something done, but right now, um, I was talking to uh, Professor Selman at Howard about doing this in collaboration with uh, w- with a Catholic university, and he said, well, you have to cut out a lot of it, perhaps use music to move it along because it's so long, and so now I'm, I'm trying to write music and... Uh, shorten shorten it because mm-hmm. at the rate it is now, it's probably about four hours.
1: well, opera is long. I remember a few of the stage versions, one here at the College of Alameda and I... the other one um at laney College and I got a chance to be in the one at Laney. Oh, you're uh, wonderful and you're so kind, and uh both were just it you know it's the it, the the piece always gets you know such. Accolades and attention because people don't know this story about the about the insurrection, uh, and, and that's why this movie is so wonderful because it's it's a it's it's where African people people of African descent are dignified and and they have integrity and and they want liberation, uh, and and that's what's so wonderful about the tale. And then you know you're the way you reinterpret it. It's just really fantastic.
2: Well, now I'm actually doing even more reinterpreting. I think I've talked to Carlos about it because I've had so many professional professor types. You know, the whole issue of of Congo, Nigerian. uh, use of, uh, of Yoruba as opposed to Bantu religion. Mm-hmm. And so now I've actually created more of a mixture, and I'm bringing in more of the historical religions that were, to, that were in that time period rather than what Carlos did, which was give it more of a, um, a Yoruba flavor. Mm-hmm. And and I've actually been uh, talking to John Thornton. He wrote this incredible book. If you have an interest in um, Africans and what happened during the – probably from 1585 to 1660 with Africans and the slave trade, read John Thornton's Central Africans, Atlantic Creoles, and the Foundation of the Americas. It's fascinating absolutely fascinating anything by john thornton he's a credible scholar on what really was taking place in the congo
1: yes spell his last name for us
2: oh sure um it's t-h-o-r-n-t-o-n and he writes with his uh wife linda m haywood h-e-y-w-o-o-d and i got his name from a professor at UC Berkeley um who told me that he was a scholar i needed to speak to mm-hmm. uh, but that professor was G Ugo uh, i believe it's Wagiji and oh, he yeah. is a social professor in the department of African American studies at UC Berkeley mm-hmm. and i'm feeling very lucky because um i will be taking a course from him on monday nights in in the uh, fall oh, on wow. the african uh, diaspora and I'm just like, "I just found out today. I'm just so thrilled because I feel like it will help me understand that whole period better. His class is african be, African before European Conquest
1: mm, well, and I'm well, like, how might I Wow! I'm like you Kim That sounds fascinating.
2: Oh my good, goodness, because we're always told <laughs> um, just you know." Who, what is what, or who who is, you know? We're always told who we are as African Americans, mm-hmm. you know, or where we came from. But to have a history that we don't know—that we have people of African descent or people who are scholars on African history—because you don't have to be of African descent. Since, excuse me, descent. You just have to love this topic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but and, it's nice. It's a
1: nice when there's a combination.
2: Oh well, either way, but to me, it's love to understand the importance. It wasn't until I started studying, um, doing my graduate work, and studying, um, reading the slave, the slavery narrative, the slave narratives, and studying the history, African history, that I really understood that. As an African, you think, okay, you could be five, ten years old, and you think. Slavery, whatever happened, that has no connection to me anymore because not only am I free, but I'm living in a world without apartheid. I'm living in a world without um, Jim Crow laws. We're living in the United States without Jim Crow, but you're still, your life is still affected by that past. Mm-hmm. And, and it behooves any African American to study that past, to really understand your DNA, where you what you're really about. Because it's like your ancestors will continually call you. They are continually with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like paying homage to who you are. It's okay to say, okay, I'm not interested in it, but to know that that's, whether you like it or not, it's a part of who you are. And and for people to dismiss slavery, and 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 basically the historical impact on African Americans and also on white people or people who who have who understand who actually were a part of that history. I remember I went to a lecture a couple of months ago by uh, Cecil Brown, and Cecil talked about how he met the people who enslaved his family, I believe it was north of South Carolina, they still had the papers. I mean, they still had the – she went down in the attic and got the slave papers. The bill of sale. Yeah, the bill of sale. And I'm like, oh, my God. Hmm. You know, and they had a museum, but she still had the papers down in the basement.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm like, H- how close is that? And yeah. then he, she – his relatives looked like her family because, of the course, black people didn't have a choice. You know, a black woman at that time period, she would say, no, Master, I, I really don't want to have sex with you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It was basically too bad. Mm-hmm. So he has relatives that look exactly like her, her side of the family. And so they all met in a room, mm-hmm. and they just talked. It, 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 I think that probably was a very enlightening experience.
1: Yeah, no. yeah, and you think about, um, you know, what happened. I mean, people of African descent, Africans basically built the wealth of Western culture, so everyone benefits from this free labor that took place over um, three, four decades, no, three, four centuries, and except the ones that were working and not building up, um, you know, capital for their descendants, which are the black people, us. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Everyone, you know, it's not just black history, it's world history, it's American history. Completely. Everyone needs to know about this because it affects all of us um, you know, to, to a great degree.
2: And, and to, one of the things you can do, if you don't know where you've come from, you can't heal the pain pictures. Because hmm. you're looking behind you and going, what's that pain picture behind me? And it, it's, it's you. It's you. But if you're going to completely ignore your, you know, there has to be a lot of forgiveness, a lot of acknowledgement, and then a moving forward. Mm-hmm. Because it's like holding a child on your back and not realizing, why is it, why do I feel so burdened? Mm. Because you're carrying your history and have not acknowledged it. The minute you acknowledge it, accept it, um, forgive, I think you can take that child off your back. Mm-hmm. Beca- because it no longer has a power to hold you back, mhm i mean and that's and that's just how I feel about it. it. doesn't mean it's right, it's just how I feel about it
1: mm. well, there's definitely um a whole lot uh to be said about um you know bringing forth that which is giving one you know sort of this unacknowledged grief <sighs> and and once you 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 know extricate or sort of take this out of yourself and put it in front of you so you can address it and so you can see it, then all the energy, you know, sort of dissipates because all it wanted was to be acknowledged.
2: And sometimes I really think that's true. You know, you, you, you we hear about the New Age stuff in the Bay Area where you go to this whole New Age place. You very seldom see African Americans at these places, but I've gone to them. And still sit in the room and someone will say to you, I want you to acknowledge the child within. I want you to say hello to that child and ask it what's it need. Now, you know, because I'm like a crybaby, I'll cry at these types of things. You know, some other person might laugh. I'm like, yeah, I've got to acknowledge that child. But but there is something to be said about acknowledging that part of you, you know, the the forgotten child. Mm -hmm. Um, Louise Hay, Hay does great work. Around yes. that in her books, like you're know, healing the body. And I, I And like you can that heal
1: yourself of. is one of her best sellers.
2: Yeah. And we and we I, can I heal ourselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it starts with affirmations, which means you're acknowledging that something exists.
2: Completely. And, then, and that's and then, what and the mm-hmm. great things and I'm doing a lot of my graduate work on that. The what I love about the black, you know, arts movement because mm-hmm. It was acknowledging. You remember the time, we're close to the same age, where you'd go out, walk around and you'd be colored or, or you'd be um, a, a Negro. But the minute you walked down the street, and I remember coming to the mainland from Hawaii and, and leaving Hawaii, and black people with big afros on the street, this was like 1971, throwing the, the, the black power fist. And I was like, as a kid, I was 11 years old. I'm going, wow. (laughs) So it's like, wow, what happened to black people? You know, where did I miss this? I loved it. It was like a celebration of being African American. And I actually, like, I will say to anyone, I love black. Because it's like, it encompasses so much. African American, it's a nice thing. But. From going to, to people being embarrassed about their color to going to, I am black, I am dark, I am light, I am magnificent. And mm-hmm. that was being fed through theater, through the um, the, the Black Panthers, through revolutionary papers, uh, newspapers, to a whole other look at blackness mm-hmm. that we just did not have in the early 60s, 50s whatever. Uh It was a lot of people felt like, well, you know, you got to do the best you can because you all know you got black blood and you are dark and all that. But to like celebrating whatever you are is celebrating your blackness. Uh And honestly, I think there should be more of that. I I think, you know, I, I think people should be dancing in the streets. And celebrating who I am. If you're white, go celebrate your whiteness. I don't really care. You know, I just think people should be celebrating who they are. And there's so much damage done to, to me, the black soul that it needs to be celebrated. And that's when people say, well, we don't celebrate white or whatever. It's like, you know, has your soul been damaged by hundreds of years of slavery? And if you feel like it has, then go celebrate. Or if you feel like it's been damaged by whatever, go celebrate that. You know, you've got to heal yourself. Everyone has to heal themselves in the way they know best. Mm-hmm. And, and whatever you need to do, I'm not, a, I'm not about to stop a person from saying they need, they need to heal themselves as long as they keep their healing, <laughs> as long as their healing basically does not affect my livelihood, my, my life. Whatever you need to do to heal yourself, I say go ahead and do it. Mhm.
1: Right. Yeah. And um you know, when one looks at the um uh the Search for the Thespian, you know, your your two part piece that you did. Oh yeah. um, that that had a lot of these kinds of um aspects or themes running through it, isn't that correct?
2: Well, yeah, because, and to me, that was healing yourself as an artist. You know, how many of us have sat and been told by society at large that as an artist, you are ridiculous. Do not even think you could make it as an artist. Do not even, you know, whatever. I feel like if you want to say to an artist, um, well, it's always good to have something to fall back on, but I want to celebrate your art, too. I think that's wonderful. But to go about and and deny that person's artistic life because you don't feel that somehow it's worthy, I feel like it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people do not see the value in art. They don't understand that what is saved from millions and thousands of years, what what do we see written on walls and caves? We see art. Mm -hmm. You know, what what transforms us? It's art. Mm -hmm. But yet, how much we see the NEA, we see people taking money away from the arts, we see that it's being devalued mm-hmm. when actually I, I think art should be embraced. I remember teaching kids at Lockwood Elementary School and the kids just soaking the art up. I, I wrote a short play for them. We used a whole third grade class. And one of the kids that had dyslexia. And the teacher, the principal said, before you came, he spent every single day in the, the in the office. But when he saw the theater, when he saw that he could be an excellent actor, he stopped. He made sure he was he he made sure that he did the best he could so he didn't have to spend his time in the principal's office. And you know how he learned his lines? Hmm. The teacher would repeat them back to him because he couldn't really read. Mm-hmm. He had his lines memorized better than any single person in the entire class, and, and that just shows you the power of art. Wow! To transform lives.
0: Wow, that is awesome.
2: <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's people need to understand that. Don't take money away from art. Do not take that's like taking a person's arm or their person's limb, and mm-hmm. saying you'll be okay without it. Sure, you'll be okay without it, but your functionality, how you function, could be at its best because you had both arms. Mm-hmm. And to me, art is like food. It's like an arm. It should never be taken away. There should be ways found to use it. I, I One of my professors, Dr. Nigel Hatton, mm-hmm. teaches at San Quentin. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how this class at San Quentin, these hardened criminals they are transformed through this through literature and we put people in prisons and we don't understand that eventually they come out and if you don't have something healing to give to them they're not going to come out whole and healed they're going to come out, if you batter and abuse people in prison and you expect them to somehow come out in society and say, okay, I'm going to act normal now. Mm-hmm. The best thing we can do for people in prison is to give them art, to give them ways to help heal themselves so that they, when they go out, they're thinking about how can I heal others.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think I told you that um, there's a Shakespeare um, at San Quentin and this year. I mm-hmm. um, I, I saw I saw Hamlet, and it's um, it's facilitated through the um, Marin Shakespeare Company. They are um, they produce many seasons. I saw last year they did a play. I, I saw last year was a comedy, and this year was a tragedy. And then what happens is the men do a side by side type of play. They they write a play about their characters, but relating it to their lives, and then they're going to perform that in August. So they performed Hamlet in. Uh, I think that was June or or May, and then they're going to perform their own Hamlet uh, in August. And I just think you're right. Uh, One of the comments was that when they step into a role, they get to be somebody else. They get to transform themselves. Mm
2: -hmm. And and you see the difference. You see, Mm -hmm. uh, Nigel talks about how just the transformative quality mm-hmm. and how these people, these, these men, are so excited. It's, it's called the, let me see, the Prison University Project. I think mm-hmm. the name, uh, Jody, I'm not sure what her last name is, is the one who runs it, and I'm hoping to have her on my radio show in August mm-hmm. because I, I love this idea. I, I truly believe that our prison system should be for rehabilitation
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Certainly, certainly. And um, uh, a woman that that you know really well uh, has joined us, uh, Javelin Richards. Hey,
2: Javelin. How are you doing?
3: Good
2: morning. (laughs) Good morning. Morning. Mm -hmm. It's so nice hearing from you. Javelin is an excellent actress. Excellent. And in fact, has a show this weekend.
1: Right, yeah. So it's gonna just be a power packed full weekend with two wonderful wonderful women, um, facilitating um some real transformation through our imaginations and uh and also getting some skills uh, in your workshop Kim. Um,
0: yeah.
1: and I, and what I mentioned earlier um with regards to uh Rafael Jesus Gonzalez um the uh, the event was called Oakland it was Oakland's first beast crawl citywide poetry event which was uh, last Saturday July 7th and it was all it started early and um yes yeah, and uh they had like different legs of the journey, <laughs> five to six you were in one place, and then um uh with uh, with different groups of um riders and then it ended up uh at um club uh, paradiso for a party
0: so it wow like, like, you
1: know, really fun yeah and mm-hmm. um, and uh so uh Kim, why don't you give us the details again about? About the event on Saturday
2: that you are oh, hosting. sure it's a Saturday at the um, Oakland Public Library, Rockridge Branch. The location is five three six six College Avenue. You can get off at the Rockridge Bart station and just walk over to it. It starts at 12 noon. it goes to 2 pm. Uh, it's let me hold on, let me get the uh, phone number. You can also call me. My phone number is 510-681-56, what is my number, Five
0: six two.
2: But it's it's just a lovely event. We're going to have a little bit of food because it's at 12 noon and we don't want people to leave and say they didn't have any food and they didn't feed us anything. <laughs> but it's it's going to be a totally fun event.
1: Yeah, and it's free too, which is really wonderful.
2: Completely free, and yeah. it, it's it's to be supportive of community, and to support the libraries, and to and to support wonderful writers, mm-hmm. and to help other people, basically with their, with learning the craft of writing.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, should awesome.
2: I be going now? Because I I don't know the the. Um...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the well,
2: we're gonna.
1: This- Well, we're going to shift over uh, to Javlin, and I want to let you know before you go, Kim, that also tonight, uh, it started yesterday. um, Okay. Luis Rodriguez is actually in town. Um, His book. Wow. His book, his last book, um, It Calls You Back, is in paperback. Uh, It Calls You Back, An Odyssey Through Love, Addiction, Revolutions, and Healing. And then he's on tour with another book, this one here he's editor of. It's called Rushing Waters, Rising Dreams, How the Arts Are Transforming a Community. And there's a film connected to that. And so today um, at the San Francisco Main Library on Larkin, they're having um, a screening and conversation from 12 to 3. And then tomorrow at... Um, modern times books they're having another he's going to be showing the film and, and also having a discussion a reading from 6 to eight thirty. and these are all free but tonight which is why i wanted to mention it to you yeah tonight um, at art international gallery and art lounge on 961 pacific in san francisco there's a poet's party and joint reading with eugene b redmond who is the editor uh, for drum voices review Uh, He's he's here from um, East St. Louis. Wonderful, and the Revolutionary Poets Brigade. So they're all going to be together. And Eugene Redmond is going to be reading along with Jack Hirschman, Devorah Major, Q. R. Han, Luis Rodriguez, and Michael War. It's going to be oh my god! That will be that
2: will be off the hook.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be music by Kenan Webster on the African uh, Korand and Layla and Rondo on vocals and guitar and it's going to be food and drink and it's, it's donated donations are suggested but no one turned away so this sounds like it's going to be the party Ooh, oh my completely
2: although i um live three hours away and won't be there i'll be there in spirit but <laughs> thank you thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate you and the show wanda
1: oh well thank you kim it was just a great conversation Thanks. and uh, looking forward to seeing you on Saturday. I'm going to move everything out of the way because those <laughs> women, I need to be in their presence. <laughs> okay. And, yes. and
2: Take care, Jovelyn. Bye. You too. I'll
1: see you this weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, wow, Jovelyn Richards, you have another show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> And uh, I do. it's a part of the Garage is Raw, which is kind of cool, Resident mm-hmm. Artist Workshop. And it's mm-hmm. called Stripping Down to Story. And it's Stripping written and performed by you as mm-hmm. all of your work. And um, you've been on our show. You're like uh, one of our favorite guests. Um are mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, You've been on talking about all different work, and it's all solo mm-hmm. work. And mm-hmm. um, it was funny what you said yesterday about, um, not yesterday, was it yesterday we spoke? Yeah, about why um, uh, yeah. you grew up in a
3: large family. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm one of eight kids. And yeah. so I think coming out of that experience, I I can't cannot work with groups of people. As I did my time with my family it was beautiful. I love them deeply, but I prefer to be with myself. <laughs> that's funny. And I did my time with my family. <laughs> I did. It was wonderful, but it taught me the to appreciate solitude, and that's why, you know. In terms of reading, uh, I would, five brothers and two sisters, uh, then myself. It it gave me the space to really get involved with reading, to have a sense of my own identity. Mm -hmm. It's very hard in a large family to discover who you are and what that really mean. Mm -hmm. So out of that, I would read and I would, you know, just as you and Kim were talking about, I turned to art to get a sense of my own understanding. Mm Mm-hmm. And since that journey, uh, I've learned to really engage in uh, and realize that I was born a storyteller, but that can, that can get really confusing when you're one of a kid. So you have this one child, meaning me, that's running around telling stories all the time, making up stuff, seeing stuff that no one else sees, uh, and not knowing that I'm a storyteller and I have those properties of inside of me, ancient properties, as I say, from the ancestors. So I have that in me. Well, eight children my mother just saw me as a pathological liar Mm. because I was always making up stuff so that to her was like here's this brown child running around uh, making up stuff every few minutes keeping her brothers and sisters up late at night telling them stories Uh so I eventually went into my own solitude so I wouldn't get a whooping (laughs) Uh so I became very quiet as a child and I read a lot and Identified with characters, and it just felt um, I found myself, and then I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I am. Mm-hmm. I am a storyteller, huh. and I so I work as a soul artist.
1: So when when did you discover that ah your name for what you do?
3: I think um, I was around thirteen, and that uh, I was going to we were going to private school, and mm-hmm. um, again I had been in trouble a lot for making up stuff in class. I couldn't stay on task. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- what that meant was I would make up stories about other teachers to the children on the playground. So I'd make up these stories. Instead of playing jump rope or whatever else, game, I would tell stories. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, the nuns uh, had the good sense one day to say to me, uh, why don't you write that down as an essay? Tell mm-hmm. us about it in an essay. Yeah. And so I did. So then she went to my mother. Uh, she said, "You know, uh, I believe that you actually have a writer on your hands. That's mm-hmm. what's happening for her." Wow! And that, and when my mother heard that, it was a it was on many levels of sigh of relief that she did not just have a thirteen year old child headed for trouble.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but she had a child that was actually had a very active imagination and uh, in the world of literature and needed to express it. And then, as I moved forward in my life, in uh, my work, my craft, my muse took me onto the stage, and that's where I'm at now in writing uh, a performance art.
1: Wow, that's interesting. Um, how you know when one one is surrounded by people that are not familiar with
4: mm-hmm. sort of
1: like um, you know sort of like the different places that their child could go or or just sort yeah. of being being um exposed to enough to know that my child is not lying, my child just has a a great imagination not having those kind that kind of language or not having right. that kind right. of that kind of linguistic access or even to be able to even go there because maybe they were shut down.
2: You know, yeah. when they were
1: a child, cause every all children, I think, um, have very extremely vivid imaginations. You just happen to be able to articulate what you were thinking,
2: you know, right. in such a
1: way that was captivating to your siblings. But that's right. amazing that you, until
3: thirteen,
1: you right. were sort of like
3: bit, kind of displaced as a person. Yeah, displaced <laughs> and trying to figure it out because it would have been easier for my mother had I opened my mouth and sang, and if mm-hmm. she said, "Oh my God, this baby okay. has a beautiful voice." It would have been easier for my mother if if someone had played some music and I started dancing Mm -hmm. and it was uh, different and more powerful maybe than my siblings, then someone might have said, oh, my God, this child's a dancer. Mm -hmm. It would have been different had I uh, been running home and was exceeding the levels of of science or math, and they said, oh, my God, this child is really intelligent. You can identify that because we want that. We want that Mm -hmm. for our children, those traditional ways uh, in the world. But to have a child to to sit in a room of grown ups, for instance, and this is one of the earlier memories I've, I had, my mother had a friend named Miss Josephine, and Miss Josephine would come by to visit, and, and I knew that they were close because if my mother poured coffee for you, you were close, and I knew that. <laughs> right. If there was a coffee, if the coffee pot was going, I know the person that was coming by that they were going to have grown up conversations. Mhm. So Miss Josephine never really talked a lot. She did a lot of things like mm hmm, mm 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 hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would then write stories to her mm hmm, and so I would tell, <laughs> and so I would make up what that really meant. And I would tell that story to my siblings when we would play outside. And I said, Well, you know what Miss Josephine really was saying to mom? And they go, What? And I say, Well, she was saying and I was filling all the blanks. And then they would go, Uh huh. And I go, Yeah. And then it became like a sing song kind of a game. And when my <laughs> mother would overhear that, and she would say, Come in the house, come here. She goes, Why did you say that about Miss Josephine? And I would go, I don't know, because I didn't know. Mm hmm. And then she said, you can't make up things about grown people. Mm -hmm. And then I would get in trouble. Uh But then later I was able to understand that filling in the blank is a person, a writer, walking into an empty space and being able to see things that are wanting to be there, like a person, a cup, a Mm -hmm. table, curtains blowing uh, on a window, so their imagination brings you into the story. And that's what I, you know, I realized that part of it. But my mom couldn't identify that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. hmm <laughs> And even to this day, when I visit with my family, when I go, hmm, every it's, it's another way in which we bonded as children, mm-hmm. and they know exactly where I'm going down that path until our childhood, and those sounds, and then it also evokes the memory of Miss Josephine, who's no longer on the planet, but it mm-hmm. brings her back into the center, and it's, it has sentimental value now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so funny. you are a writer, solo mm-hmm. performance artist, um, mm-hmm. uh, you have a master's in fine arts, you're also a stand-up comedian, professional storyteller, guest lecturer. Um, are you still a co-producer for KPFA Women's Magazine?
3: No, actually I'm still at KPFA, but I'm doing cover-to-cover open book every third Friday at oh, 3 are o'clock. You?
1: Oh, you? Yes. Okay. Oh, third, arts third Friday. Arts and Humanities. Oh, mm-hmm. Friday.
3: Um, Every third uh, three Friday. O'clock. Oh,
1: three nice. o'clock. So what, when is the third Friday in July? Uh,
3: that would be the, let me see, the 20th. Okay. The 20th Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Oh, that's cool. I like cover to yeah. cover. That's a great show. Yeah, okay. arts and humanities, which, you know, feels very, and part of, of that show for me is that I am in search of, in my work and in my life, uh, emotional intelligence. Mm. So I try to bring in people who I think their work, whether it's uh, through uh, literature, through music, through theater, through visual arts, that mm-hmm. that that evokes uh, emotional intelligence in me. Mm-hmm. And because I think a part of our humanity right now is we're really looking at how to connect to our emotions and mm-hmm. how to connect with one another emotionally,
1: mm-hmm.
3: as a as a way to move you know humanity forward.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And you're also a co-author of the novel, The Onion, and it won the Digest Merit Award. You're author Mm -hmm. of Raising Autumn, Colored Babies, Beyond Vanity, and various other published works. Your written and stage productions include The Diaries of Aunt Jemima, Harlem Nights, Flowers Cut in a Vase and Dying, and Pussy Will Sell a Lot Longer Than Cotton Any Day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and some of your other work, because um, I didn't see any of those, because um, what is, what is, I've seen, um, I think I've seen two or Come three Home. of your pieces. Yeah, Come Home, that was really beautiful. And that was um, looking at uh, veterans from World War II, right?
3: Yes, black mm-hmm. veterans from World War II told the story of one of the wives of the men who went off to war, mm-hmm. and it's, the story is told through the voice of Donna Ray and the women and children in that area of uh, Arkansas and the impact uh, of their lives when, their fam- when the men came back from war and how Do- Donna Ray had to become invisible as a passionate woman in order to survive her marriage because mm-hmm. he could not feel. He could not. He was. Um, uh, all emotions had been uh, dissolved from his life, he had seen too much. The right. death of his friends and the racism and war, and he came back empty. Yes, that that was a really beautiful work.
1: Um, you did it over at the Marsh in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. really, really, he had a nice run too. It wasn't just one one day. <laughs> People could five go weeks. back.
3: Yeah, well, five good. weeks. It was beautiful, and I mm-hmm. was completely spoiled. Three nights a week on yeah. stage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, mm-hmm. I was spoiled. That was beautiful.
1: Yeah, great, great, uh,
3: great, great production, too, lighting, set, mm-hmm. which just, just gorgeous. Johnson. Oh, my gosh, Stephanie Johnson, who we are artistic collaborators, and she's going to be doing this show, uh, Stripping okay. Down to the Story. She's going to do the light design for that as well.
1: Mm, excellent, excellent. And then uh, I remember the piece you did. It was a work in progress at La Pena Cultural Center. Uh, hats Pat's Yes, Miss Pat's House. And then you did it again. You had another Miss Tass house, house,
3: and you had some more characters. Yeah, yeah
1: that was really nice. Um, and that
3: brothel. To, yes, the brothel. It takes place in brothel. And we're going to have that show again in August, uh, the mm-hmm. 13th and no, the 10th, 11th, and 12th of August. Mm-hmm. At La Pena? At La Pena Cultural Center. So that's the okay. 10th, 11th, and 12th. Okay, and so
1: that's
3: um opinion Berkeley. Okay. Mm-hmm. in Berkeley on Shattuck. And,
1: and is it's, it's, the
3: calendar's up on uh their lapinia.org website now.
1: Right, L A P E N A dot So is is the uh the third edition of Ms. Path's House have have any new uh characters uh found at abode, uh have any that were there uh in, in version one or two? moved yeah. on <laughs>
3: well in this show well the the woman who first comes to Miss Pass house she ends up in all my shows her name is Miss Lucy even though in some shows her name changes it's still the same character her name is Miss Lucy mm-hmm. and Miss Lucy is a real person that was in my life as a child mm-hmm. uh who uh, who also saw that difference that difference in me and she was an elder person then, so and she's passed on. But she's always in every show, no matter what I do. Miss Lucy comes to me spiritually and says, "I need to be in the show." And I say, "Miss Lucy, this is a brothel. You're 103. I'm not clear <laughs> what it is you want to do in this brothel." <laughs> she says, "Somebody needs to cook.
2: <laughs> they have
3: to eat. So she's gonna be there. Miss um, Lily will be there uh, again. She's still working through her pain as a biracial woman." Okay. Who loses her identity? Uh, she was passing for white, and so she still has her struggle because she's still working it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newest character is Sweet Baby.
1: Uh-huh, uh huh.
3: Sweet Baby. Sweet Baby. Uh, she's she's coming to the brothel this uh, this year. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay.
0: Okay.
3: <laughs> Sweet nice. Baby. And, w- and what
1: about the? Um,
3: uh, I'm trying to think.
1: Uh, is it a transvestite?
0: Uh,
3: or, yeah. Yeah. He well, he was born uh, like in 1901. So we have to imagine uh, a, a uh, African American man, but he was a Negro or colored then, mm-hmm. being born in the South. It's the only child, and it's called it's a boy. He, and so he's a boy child. He's able to help his father work the land. And to imagine that he then realizes that he loves men and that he loves dressing in women's clothing.
0: Mm-hmm. What
3: uh, So think about how heavy that sky is that he has to hold up. He wow. has to hold this sky up in the early 1900s, and he's trying. And so, he, yes, he will be back there this year as well because okay. he's still working out his stuff. You know, all the characters are usually passed on in terms of, like, you know, fast forward 21st century, but it's really the energy in which they're working through. So this is looking at gender roles, and it's looking at, in Miss Lucy's case, elder abuse. It's looking at social uh, issues, and the characters sort of walk them through, like Miss Lily is passing for white And is found out Once she has a baby Who's dark So she's still dealing With internalized racism And racism So it's still existing In, the, in the, the present time The characters continue To show up at this brothel To work it through Right
1: Yeah Yeah Hmm Yeah that sounds really great But that's not what's happening This weekend uh, <laughs> Yeah so tell us about Tell us about stripping down the story because um, it's a literal and figurative use of that word, stripping, right?
3: Yes, stripping down the story is about a woman named Diane Edwards, and the, her name is important. In that in this place, she's literally she is married. She's married to Doctor uh, C. Bailey, hmm. but they only call her Diane Edwards throughout the story, the, and she's also. Is take place. The story opens in 1933. She's in the medical field. She's practicing in Alabama before her marriage. She then becomes married to him, and they move to Harlem. Mm. And what is going on in this particular story is a great deal of internalized racism because she's a, br- a dark brown woman, and she's doing the Harlem Renaissance with the uh, Harlem aristocrats our lives are, are, are blowing up in incredibly beautiful ways, but inside of that, there's a lot of internalized racism, and they can't understand why, why this man, who's a very, uh, very high yellow man with very fine hair, how he could marry this woman. And then also she's a woman with a medical degree. So then that becomes, oh, now wow. we're talking, okay. yeah, so now educated. we're talking about, she. yeah, she's educated, She's and, and so she's dealing with what does that mean to a woman in 1933? So she is stripped of everything as she moves to Harlem and she does not fit in. She cannot sign up for some of the internalized racism, and she's targeted uh, both by the men in her field and then by the women who much They prefer being wives of affluent, educated men, and they have no desire to want to be a, uh, in, in a profession, even though some of them have, they have degrees. They don't want to use those degrees. They want to be the wife of so-and-so, whoever that is. So she's faced with all of that. And when she loses that, uh, uh, her medical license over some BS, all kinds of crazy gossip drama, uh, then she then makes a decision one night with her husband Uh, they have a conversation around skin color children she loses it uh, and she ends up uh, literally uh, everything has gone out of her life and she ends up a striptease artist in a very um, exquisite negro striptease club in harlem and that's where she spends the rest of her life for the most part and but this is one of those journeys where you have one set of plans in life. You say, Oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a doctor and I'm gonna in her case, I'm oh I'll be a part of uplifting the Nickel race and I will and all these great things will happen but there's another spiritual journey that the universe wants her to go on and and it turns out that this place where she works is somewhat magical. Mm-hmm. And this is where she finds her true sense of identity oddly enough so you have two worlds and who would have came to her and said listen you could be a striptease artist or a doctor what do you want to be most of us would sign up to be a doctor because oh my god <laughs> and she does sign up for that but she realizes and some of us realize sometimes we're taking we are thrust into a different path and when she's
2: in the striptease
3: club what happens is that the movements of her
2: hands while she
3: performs nightly to the backdrop of jazz evokes spirits from the other world for people also that have lived very challenging lives to come through her body and to tell their story. So while she's dancing on stage and all these beautiful lights and her body's moving and her hand turns a certain way, if the world stops Hmm. and someone comes up out Of her being, and shares their challenging time on the planet, and they've Mm -hmm. all lost their life. And so Mm -hmm. again, dealing with isms, they each had to like. For instance, there is a a man who comes through her body, uh, similar to the the man you met um, with Miss Pat's house. Mm -hmm. He shares his story of of loving. And loving differently, and how his lover Willie T is the one who ends up killing him. Again, homophobia. Uh-huh. Uh, then there's another character. Uh, her name is Faulty. <laughs> she and she's a twin, and her twin sister did not have enough oxygen to the brain, uh-huh. uh, and so she is born. Uh, they said back then, dumb, wicked, and with and again. So we're talking the South. We're talking. Uh-huh born in the early 1900s we're talking Negro. so now we have to think about what were the resources mm-hmm. so without resources that it becomes her twin's protector and when she gets married to this man who she doesn't love they just live in a country he likes to drink, she likes to drink he can take care of her she has an 8th grade education she says I will marry you but you have to take care of my sister too she's coming with me Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens is that uh, domestic violence, and uh, he ends up killing her. The cast, her favorite cast, iron, she says, uh, "My favorite cast is guilty." That's what took me out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, mm-hmm. I was like, "Where does this woman, Javlin Richards, find these characters?" Oh, my goodness gracious, where do they come from? And I also want to mention to our audience that. Um, uh, your your work, Stripping Down the Story, this one-woman show written by uh, you, uh, Miss Javlin Richards, with artistic collaborations by Stephanie Ann Johnson. You actually have, are you having the live musicians um, there, uh, Mike Wilson on sax and Dexter Rogers on keyboard? Are they going to be there performing well, live
3: with you? Yes, yeah, so and the music, uh, now Mike will be there and uh, Dex will not. I now have Patrick, uh, his name is, And Seth A N S E T H, and then J T Davis, and and then Kimberly Turner, my vocalist, she'll be there. So, wow, you added uh, two more people. Oh my goodness! I did, I did. Well, they came tonight. We were on the we were on the back porch last night, rehearsing and having a good time.
0: Oh,
1: you should have
3: called me. That sounds fun. (laughs) I cooked cook food. It felt so. so and the mm-hmm. characters needed that too. I cooked some really wonderful food. We set out back. They played on the porch, uh, and we could. I did. A, we we call it rehearsal, technically, but really for me, it's a process of falling in love with each other and the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So they they'll be on stage with me. Are they the uh, same people
1: that were, or some of them that were on stage with you when you did um, uh the um, the piece about the uh, the veteran.
3: No, the 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 musicians have changed. Okay. Uh, and it and it happens. Like I I had a couple musicians that took off from New York. I mean, they're the you know, they're creative beings and mm-hmm. and so I'm just have had a wonderful journey that each time there's a production of a show, the right folks come mm-hmm. to me and yeah. they join in and we learn the story and we have a good time.
1: Oh, yeah, I just want to let our audience know that uh, you know, you're you're a you're um a creative person that, you know, brings in then brings in others to collaborate with you, you know, like yes. Stephanie Johnson for mm-hmm. the wonderful lighting and you mm-hmm. know, lighting designs. She's really an artist with with with, uh, with yes. light. And and then, you know, every now and then not every show has
3: live music, but it's really
1: cool when it is.
3: <laughs> it is a part of it too is that the musicians uh, for me, sort of, well, not just sort of, they, in the, the beginning, I would say that they were a part of the voice of the ancestors, so that mm-hmm. what language what language, cannot do in the moment, it's like so, like you say, someone says, I love you, and that's beautiful. We, we get that, but sometimes I love you, and you're just waiting because something else needs to happen, so it's like, then that's, sweet note that follows it and go oh you love me Mm -hmm. so it's that sweet note it's not necessarily just musically but it's some time for me as the writer that note is somewhere in our spirit that we just haven't found enough language to put there so Mm -hmm. I just try to have that relationship and uh, on stage so that if whatever it is that I was saying that someone didn't quite get, then mm-hmm. suddenly they may hear a violin and then they go, "Oh my God, I'm having an aha moment!" I pray.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so, so that's why I have them on there.
1: Right. As a
3: part yeah. of our relationship.
1: Exactly, and that that points to your your interest in emotional intelligence because we have different ways of of ascertaining information and learning things. So. Some people might be visual, and yes. some might uh, the music might hit them. Some people might be more auditory, or the yes. music combines a, a few different aspects of yes. our, our person, and and yes. that might hit the way that they are most communicative, and so Absolutely. they might miss the words, but they'll they'll hear it in the violin or the saxophone or the piano or in someone's voice, you know, sort of the the pitch of the voice or Absolutely. the way the fall the the voice falls or, or the yeah or the lyrical quality of of the of the note yeah and and so, wow. so everyone to be following you in in different ways because you'll be hitting them on a lot of levels and then or somebody might, might be into the lighting creates moods <laughs> somebody wow. get it that way so yeah, yeah so you're employing all of these different uh you're you're you know in your in your theater you're you're hitting multiple aspects of our intelligence Uh, In in one fair scoop because of the way that you have orchestrated this particular um, uh, journey stripping down the story which is happening on Friday and Saturday July Uh 13th and 14th 8 o'clock both days at the garage which is located at 715 Bryant Street at 5th Street in San Francisco that sounds like right around Civic Center with Bart which means you can get off and walk is that is it that close. (laughs)
3: I I don't I think the Bard is relatively close. I don't know. Yeah, I do know that it, the parking is fabulous in that area, so okay. that's the good news. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do know that I think one of my musicians said they were going to take Bart, so they had they did all the you know whatever one does that does Bart. I haven't. I, well, yeah, anyway, that, that's the, can, um, yeah,
1: that's the yeah Civic Center, yeah. I believe. Um, but okay, it, but it could be somewhere else. So don't take my don't don't listen to me. You know. Check it out. Call Bart out. or something. And the phone yeah. number, I'm sure if you call the garage, they could tell you what the closest the Bart station is. Yeah, the phone absolutely. number there is 415-518-1517, 415-518- one five one seven, and tickets are pretty reasonable. I, I saw like ten dollars to twenty mm-hmm. or something like that. I was like, mm-hmm. Ooh, I might, I might, Light you know, scale. be able to like give you a donation as opposed to ask for a press comp. I, I that's like in my range. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's <so> wonderful. <laughs> yes,
3: and it's a very intimate setting, which is really sweet. Oh, I think okay. it seats sixty, which is good
2: for this show.
3: Oh,
1: nice. the sixty is going to be yet. very intimate. Sixty
2: intimate and there, you can have um, many people life. at your house. <laughs> Right,
3: <laughs> it's
2: right, and it's for this show
3: because of the um, just the you know the movement, the intimacy in which I'm trying to hold space for, and and the emo- all of the shows that I work with inside create are emo the emotional content is there, but there is an added element that she that I am in ways you know taking on the the movements of a striptease artist although. I must say, because someone says, "Oh, are you going to take your clothes off?" No, because it's really, <laughs>
0: right, right.
3: Like I was just my, my mother. Certainly, she had a hard time dealing with me being a storyteller because she didn't know what it was. But if she thought I was in San Francisco taking my clothes off, is no <laughs> excuse. She would be, there is no excuse. She would there is no excuse. You, whatsoever you be, <laughs> bust naked in San Francisco, talking about you telling another story. Mm-hmm. But what this is, the uh, striptease artist really wasn't about clothes off. It was really um, about production of movement. It like could take an hour for a glove to come off. It was a story that was being told about sensuality, about passion, about you know, the breath of time. And it was just, and that's the part of it that I'm exploring. And then, of course, in her case, her movements, there are people who are coming through her body, which, whether the people in front of her is in this story, not just necessarily the audience Friday and Saturday night, but in the time in which this was happening to her in 1933, what the audience did not know, they literally couldn't see the people come through her but their essence, their spirit, and that's what was evoking in them feelings of emotional intensity. Not sexual, but they would feel things, and, and that's why I came to see her because they was like something, something happened to me as a human being that I am. I went there maybe because I wanted to see something sexual, but they leave when they see her perform. Her name is Stardust, and they leave and with a bigger heart. There's a sadness they feel about humanity, or greatness they feel about humanity. So it's a different kind of story that she tells that the universe has brought her to this unlikely place to support people in filling their humanity.
1: Yeah. But it's interesting that that this character uh, she she's she's trained as a as a physician, and physicians are healers.
2: Mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and you mentioned
1: earlier in our conversation about this woman's hands. And um and also, um, I think you said that she was a dark complexion woman, right? Yes. Yeah, and her husband was not dark and so she had these these self image uh issues because uh, around beauty, um, that she was also working through. Um so it's it's not it's not far it's not a stretch to to real to, to believe that as a stripper, because striptease is an art. I mean, you look at what's that famous movie, Gypsy Rose Lee, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this woman's name is Stardust. I mean, think about the song. Like, it has lyrics. Read the song. Listen to the song. Do Do the Do you play the song at all? Um, as a part of the soundtrack of of the piece
3: that no, her name we... calls. No, what we've done with this with the music is we uh, we tr- have tried to create. I think there's maybe one song in there that would be familiar to the audience, but for the most part, we try to create the the music up out of the emotions of the of the story at that particular time. Mm-hmm. So, no, but you know. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and
1: listen to that song actually. Yeah, cause I was gonna like I was just like, what What are the lyrics? It has lyrics. I'm like, hmm, are, are the lyrics, um, you know, do they do they call into being her her person, uh, mm-hmm. the name in you know? I was because like, that's kind of cool when when there's that double entendre kind of thing happening with wow. regards mm-hmm. to um, uh, you know, you got. You've got the name you got Stardust and when I see here Stardust I think of the lyrics and um and, and the tune because it's famous. <laughs> oh. And then for a woman to have have a name, you know, Stardust like mm-hmm. oh, oh. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh oh yeah, Frank Sinatra so, uh sang Stardust. Nat King Cole sang Stardust. Ohie Carmichael hard. sang mm. yeah, I think Hoagie oh Carmichael wrote Stardust. Yeah, I'm just looking it all up because I have a computer here. <laughs> wow, that is so <laughs> as, as fantastic! As I ask you this question, um, yeah, because when you said stars, I'm like, whoa, that's a song. That's so cool and, to have a woman who's not a stripper really even aware who have a of that. song. But
3: the thing, right, when she she got her name that night when she uh, oh. right after the the last gathering she has hmm. with the, the you know with the this group of people, her peers that she's hmm. been you know pulled away from. And she leaves there, uh, uh, and she takes an, a, an old man, finds her, hmm. and he calls her. He says, You are my stardust tonight.
1: Hmm. Wow, and you know, I'm looking at this, and it is so fits this woman um, the lyrics. Um, Sometimes I wonder why I spend the lonely nights dreaming of a song. The melody haunts my reverie, and I am once again with you. When I love was new, and each kiss and inspiration. Ah, but that was long ago. Now my consolation is in the stardust of a song. Oh, my beside goodness. My, beside the garden wall, when stars are bright, you are in my arms. The nightingale tells his fairy tale, a paradise where roses grow. Though I dream in vain, in my heart it will remain. My stardust melody, the memories of love's refrain. Like, wow, girl, oh, that wow. works so well. Wow, <laughs> I am
3: having have a car with them. man, that's awesome. <laughs> it is, and I just clicked it on my, put it in my computer, and comic McRae came up. She's at a piano. A McCray, oh, that.
0: my gosh, she's cute yes.
3: too?
0: Yes, Ooh, is, yes, is,
3: so definitely I might listen uh. to her after we talk, because she's just the picture of her. On his YouTube video, it's like, oh, my gosh, she has a beautiful mm. black dress on off mm. one of the shoulders. Mm. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Mm. So, uh, so I, no, I had not thought about that piece. I just, in terms of writing it, and this man who, you know, name says to her, you are my star, that's for him in 1933. It's the greatest mm-hmm. thing. He's mm-hmm. migrated from some place in the south, and he he – picks her up one night when she's totally almost in a state of, um, I guess if one would see her today, you would know that she um, probably needs to go to uh, the hospital. I mean, that's the kind of state that she's in. She's just Mm -hmm. blown away by the pain of the full evening. And he says, get in the car, I'll take you where you need to go. And what she says is, I have no place to go. And he Says to her what his mama used to always say to him. So we have to really think about the time frame. It's 1933. He's about seventy years old, and he says his mama said so to him. You may, you may, you will always have somewhere to go. Hmm. You just may not be wanted. Oh, Hmm. interesting. And so, yeah. So for him. That meant he took that, you know, so our parents or someone who's raising us tell us these things, we wonder all our life, what did that really mean? Mm-hmm. And what his mom was trying to say to him is that you just, you go, because remember, it's segregation. Uh, you go. You may not be wanted, but you have a right to go where you want to go. You just mm-hmm. may not be wanted. So he says it to her, passes it on to her in that moment, mm-hmm. and he says to her, you are my stardust. mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah and um I know um uh former congressman, former mayor, um freedom fighter Ron Dellums he said at an event I went to um that was looking at Martin King's legacy that just like what this um this character's mother told him people might not want you to belong but you have a right to be at that table that's right. so, you, so you go claim your seat. That's <laughs> like, right that's
0: because like, right. the seat
1: because the seat is empty. The seat is mm-hmm. empty. It's just sitting there at the table and it's empty because so many people are saying, "No, nah, you shouldn't be in the room." <laughs>
2: but mm-hmm. but that's
1: your seat. That's our seat, you know. Mm-hmm. And so no, you go claim your seat at the table and you, you know, it's, it's the discourse is yours too. You know, this democracy is not something that's just for
3: one group of people. <laughs>
1: this nation's like, "Oh, heck no." We're all
3: Americans. Yeah. Yes. And that's what his mama said to him. You always have some place to go. You just may not be wanted when you get mm-hmm. there, but you mm-hmm. you have a right to get there and to go. And right. He so, yeah, like, and it's like you, you, you don't always. have to
1: like me, that's because right, you don't you mm-hmm. know, it's,
3: it's not your country
1: anyway. It's our country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, it's been so wonderful speaking to you and um and I wanted to ask you, um, before you you know, get on to preparations because the weekend is just the day after tomorrow um, and you're having your first show, you know, Friday. I uh, wanted to yeah. ask you um, about the research because um, I know for all of your work, what really makes it, you know, so powerful is the background stuff that goes into it, like, you know, when you're doing your research and giving your, your character who is you know you're you're um you know you created this this person this character mm-hmm. however this character resonates because this character is grounded in 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 uh some real lives mm-hmm. and wonder if you could talk about some of the uh you know sort of that that burlesque genre and you know during the Harlem Renaissance and these these characters that these people that you found um to that would be colleagues of of mm-hmm. your character
3: Mm-hmm. Well, the the process for this show, and as in most shows that I create, the character comes to me first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, yes, they come to me first. So I was having a lunch with a friend, and the the whole hand thing happened. So, so let me say this in a way that makes sense to the listening your listening audience. So I'm sitting there talking, and I'm moving my hands, and something mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by everyone's hands, and I'm like, okay. So then I began to listen to myself. I've learned uh, in my life, once I realized that I was born a storyteller, I began to listen and to breathe. And then I realized oh, there was a character who was say, pay attention. Uh, so I know this sounds kind of like, oh, but that, that's the truth of how I began. And then once I realized, oh, this is a striptease artist, And she's trying to say that her movements uh, have meaning. They have meaning, and those meanings takes us on a a journey into other people's lives. So then I just started, you know, Internet Googling striptease artists, uh, uh, black striptease artists, Started looking at the time period that she she was in, the, the 1930s, and looking at some of the issues that we were faced in America then. And so we definitely knew there wasn't a lot of women in the medical field. I knew that there had been a huge tumble in her life. I mean, these things were happening in my dream world and in my daydream world, so both sleep and daydream world. So I knew that, the, you know, I am looking up women, Negro the, the, Female Negro doctors, medicine, and started to get some, that research. One the first medical schools for women in the country, uh, and then and how many black doctors left the country, be trained and come back. And then I started looking at when she. I realized how dark she was. So I thought, Oh my God, this had to be incredibly challenging for her. And then, but uh, somehow, there was a truer story that came up. In this, because this research, formal or informal research began happening like nine months ago about this show, mm-hmm. that a true story came up, like we find things when we least expect them, that became in my own family of a, a woman who was dark that married a man who was very light and how that tore her up mentally, not between him and her, but his family, her friends, and what that did to her life and to their relationship. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: So what started off as an act of love, how that ended up over time, and how it was said that she lost her mind, that Mm -hmm. she lost her mind. So I kind of included that inside of it as well uh, in terms of doing that research on how does she feel being Mm -hmm. dark. So she had... The whole gender role, being a professional woman and being a dark woman, so she had it coming from all sides.
0: Wow!
1: So that was my process. hmm Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a really fantastic um, show, as as all of your shows are. They're all they're all really unique and different, but then there's like a through line. Uh, it seems. Um, yes. You know, for the work because. You know you're interested in certain things, and yeah. uh, and and the way you put pre- you know just like your the way you the way you present it's like yeah that's that has a a javelin Richard's mark on it like <laughs>
3: sort of like a book yeah kind of thing. It's
1: like yeah this is you know we we could see it as like we you have a, like a certain style that your work nappy
3: headed love stories they're nappy headed uh, love stories
1: yeah yeah. Yeah,
3: they're headed it, and a part of it too. I think it's what I ask of myself. It's I the. Again, the stories come to me. Well, so why do they come to me? I mm-hmm. think it's because I have given myself permission spiritually. Mm-hmm. I've given myself permission to feel and to be open,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: I think that once. I think once the hearts are open on some level, and again, I know this sounds sort of foo foo Berkeley-ish, like I'm meditating on some rock somewhere. Uh, but the truth of it is, is that I think once the universe knew that I was open, and um, and i you know, you're born a certain way, a gift is given, and you accept that gift, you open yourself to that. That, and then because I am born a woman, I am born a woman of color, I am born in an, uh, this time in our history where we're struggling with these challenges, uh, whatever they may be, that those challenges need to be dealt with, rectified, looked at, discarded. So then they, for me as a writer, those are the topics that seem to come in me, and I'm opening, and, and so the characters, the characters come and say, okay, I trust you. Now I'm gonna tell you my story. And then you mm-hmm. put it out there and we mm-hmm. see what happens.
1: Right.
3: Yeah. I hope that makes sense.
1: Oh totally. It definitely makes sense. Yeah.
0: hmm
1: Wow. Well, thank you so much, um, for joining us and thank you so much for um for the work that you bring to us 'cause it's always it's always just really a fantastic journey, um and I just love your characters, all of them that I've met. I have met them all, but I've enjoyed everyone I've met. <laughs>
3: thank you, thank you, Wanda. You're you wonderful. You're wonderful. Thank you for supporting supporting my art. I mean, that's one of the most incredible things in the world. When there are people, because there is that solitude uh, in the work that we do, all of us, not just writers, but mm-hmm. all of us. There's a solitude that we deeply love. But it's nice with other people when you're putting your work out there, whatever that may be, whatever, if it's baking a pie, whatever that may be, to have people to uh, to call out and say, here, I'm here. I want to hear your story. I want to see what you're doing. And you do that, and I, I really appreciate that, and thank you deeply. Oh, you're yeah, well- When I see you out there in the world at some art event, and I just see you in the world, I mean, you clearly are a person who's invested in humanity and invested in In moving humanity forward And that's like, wow, okay (laughs) So thank you
1: Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome
3: And again, we're
1: speaking to Joplin Richards about um, her latest work and it's going to be a, it's a part of the Garages Raw resident artist workshop series and it's called Stripping Down to the Story and it's written and performed by Jovelyn Richards and it's again this weekend Friday and Saturday so you don't want to miss it 715 Bryan Street at 5th Street in San Francisco 8 o'clock both nights July 13th and 14th um, you know turn that thing around it's going to be Friday your lucky day so Friday June, July 13th mm-hmm. July 13th mm-hmm. So if you have like any kind of superstition And you need to like turn it around Then you should go Friday and Saturday So <laughs> <laughs> Friday and know that it's all good And go Saturday Because you can testify to it okay?
3: <laughs> oh, I like that
1: Good for you That's I hope
3: to see folks there
1: Yeah, And the phone number for the garage So you can find out where they're located since um I'm not sure if I'm telling you right about the civic center getting off there. So don't don't take my word for that. Um it might be Montgomery. It might be Embarcadero. I'm not sure. So you should call. <laughs> you uh, call. The phone number is 415-518-1517, 415-518-1517. Javelin do you have a website yet?
3: No, we're working on it. I do have a website but it's under construction now. It's just on the phone this morning. So okay. um uh, yeah. But, okay. so I will figure that
1: out. Sure. And the garage has a website. It's yes.
3: nine seven
1: five Howard W I me mean, H O W A R D dot com. Nine seven five Howard dot com. So that's their website for more information. So you can check them out there as well. And again, it's only what ten to twenty dollars. Yes, do
3: what you can. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can do that. And they there are only what, sixty seats or eighty seats. 60. It's sixty. Sixty, so you know, like you need to, like, get there on time because you might not be able to squeeze into the space. Sounds really You can get it on brown
3: paper. Uh, brown paper uh, I think it's on the website, the garage mm-hmm. website, where you can go click on and buy your tickets. Uh, yeah, you know, I can't even say early because we're in the 11th hour of the show, so definitely mm-hmm. buy your tickets online. Yeah. You have a seat. Right, definitely, definitely. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right,
1: cool. Well, thank you again so much. And. um yeah, uh, good luck on on the opening of the show. I think I'm gonna probably come on Saturday night. Um, okay. Yeah, but definitely I want to catch catch her this this um, this woman. She sounds really fantastic.
3: Yeah, Diane
1: Edwards. She sounds she sounds like a woman I want to know.
3: Yay!
1: <laughs> She'll be there. She'll be there <laughs> Friday and Saturday. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Wanda. You take care. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. <laughs> so we're gonna um play a song by Ruthie Foster who is actually gonna be in town as well tomorrow, Thursday. She'll be in Oakland, um, at Yoshi's and she is a fantastic woman and um I think we're gonna play we're gonna play this song for Jovlin's character Diane Edwards. Um it's called um Truth. And and then I have an interview with uh Ruthie Foster, but I'm not certain if we're gonna get to it in time. Um during during the um the broadcast portion, you might have to go into the archives to listen to the rest of it because this archived interview that I'm gonna play starts with um Mavis Staples and, and I'm not certain if um if Ruthie Foster follows that or not. I'll let you know that after we finish playing um Truth. And again we're we're um we're sending this out to um to Diane Edwards uh, who is um The protagonist in Joplin Richards, Stripping Down to Story. Interview. So, first part is uh, Miss Mavis Staples, and uh, this interview was uh, recorded in June of 2009, so it's been a minute uh, since we spoke to uh, Ruthie Foster, but couldn't get in touch with her to have an update have a more recent interview but she's just really fantastic wonderful wonderful musician and composer and as you know this on truth and i'm sure she might have some other cds out by now but i I happen to like the truth according to ruthie foster um and that's the, the title track i think it's really fantastic and so um we are going to play uh this interview with her in a sec and um and then uh Yeah, there's a whole lot of great stuff happening. Um, I thought I was going to play an interview with um, James uh, T. Lane uh, from the Scottsboro Boys, but that didn't happen because I wasn't able to get the interview um, uploaded uh, in the studio because I'm broadcasting from the College of Alameda this afternoon. I wasn't able to get back to my home studio things like that happen. So, um, yeah. So we're shifting into another gear, and I, I think it's working out well. Um, Mama Staples is just fantastic, and we're so happy that she is around And because uh, not many of her generation are still with us. And so it's really great that she's here, and she comes to the Bay Area often. Um, she was here in January as a part of the Martin King um, Celebration Uh I was still in South Africa, so I ended up missing that but I'm sure it was fantastic. So, um here is Ruthie Foster. Um she's gonna follow it again, um, Mavis Staples and this is from June twenty third, two thousand nine. Enjoy.
5: this hideout It was going to be trouble (laughs) All right Yes I'm home There you go baby sister I'm showing up home (laughs) We're going to sing for you now The very first song That Pops taught us (laughs) Yes He used to sing With an all male group You know Six guys The trumpet jubilee And Pops would go to rehearsal. He'd come home disgusted because these guys wouldn't come to rehearsal. So, this last time he came home and he headed straight to the closet. He had a little guitar that he bought at the pawn shop. Yeah. Called us children into the living room and set us on the floor in a circle. My sister Cleo, brother Purvis, sister Yvonne, and moi. All right now. Yeah. Yeah. So he began to give us voices to sing That he and his brothers and sisters used to sing Down in Mississippi So, you know, there were 14 of them Yeah, I said the same thing (laughs) I said the same thing They had a choir But it was so many of them That they ran out of names They got down to my uncle They named him Sears and they named Pops Robo.
0: <laughs>
5: you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so um, Pops, this is the very first song he taught. My Aunt Katie lived with us. And she came through one night. She said, shucks, y'all sound pretty good. I believe I want y'all to sing at my church. We went to Aunt Katie's church, and we sang this song. People liked it so much, they clapped us back three times.
0: And, yeah,
5: three times we had to sing the same song.
0: <laughs>
5: it was the only one that Pops had taught us all the way through, you know. So, uh, so it took a few years. But after we sang that song at Aunt Katie's church, we went back home, and Pops said, Shucks, these people like us. We're going home and write some more songs and the rest is
0: history.
1: That's uh Mavis Staples and that's uh one of the encore's um on her latest album live at the Hideout and was actually taped June 23rd uh 2008 in Chicago and was released on November 4th uh the day that President Obama had his victory uh, you're listening to Wanda Six coming to you live from Austin, Texas. Yes, we are recording here live. <laughs> um, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm not gonna uh make you wait to the end of the show. I am going to play the song and then I introduce Miss Staples, who's gonna be in town um uh this at the end of this week, um Sunday, June twenty eighth. I'll tell you more about that later. Uh so anyway, here is Will the circle be unbroken?
2: All
0: right. Yeah.
5: Well, I was standing By my window It was on a cold and Cloudy day when I saw the words come rolling, oh, to carry my mother away.
0: Will the circle be unbroken by?
1: So that was um, from Live at the Hideout, um, uh, Miss Mavis Staples singing in Chicago, and the release just came out in November, so it is sort of hot off the presses, and she's going to be in California at the Kate Wolf Memorial Festival in Laytonville, California, on Sunday. She's closing out the festival Sunday, June 28th, but the festival actually begins Friday, June 26th, and on the uh, bill for June 26th, is another one of my guests today, and that's uh, Ruthie Foster, who's got a new album, The Truth According to Ruthie Foster. And I'm in her town, and she's in my town. So it's kind of funny. Um, I'm in Austin, and she's in California. She's going to be in California. So you all have to tell me all about that great concert. Um, she's going on about 810. And the um, I think the, uh, the Preservation Hall um, band is also on this bill. Um, and that weekend, the... Um, The Blind Boys are also going to be performing, along with some other really, really hot groups. Uh, Maeve Staples was born July 10, 1939, in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, she's an American blues and gospel singer and civil rights activist who recorded with her family's band, the Staples Singers. Um, Yeah, I had known about the civil rights activism part of, of her career and also didn't know that she had a summer birthday, so happy birthday in advance. And we, um, I had her on my show last week. Actually, no, no, I recorded this interview last week, but we weren't able to record it, to, to broadcast it. So uh, I know you've been anticipating this conversation really, really, really nice and real special. So here's uh, Mavis Staples talking about her father and her siblings and um, sort of what happened um, uh, with regards to um, their involvement in, uh, in the movement, as she calls it. So here's Miss Staples. It was recorded June 17th. That I was actually going to be um, honored with an interview. Yeah, um, we've been going back and forth for like, well, actually not going back and forth. We put I put the request in a month ago,
0: uh-huh. and I just
1: found out at 7 o'clock yes, that, <laughs> that I had interest Like, Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, ah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've seen you out here um, in uh, California. Um, the last time I saw you was at the, uh, I'm trying to say, the Great American Music Hall. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. no, we've been there many times since that. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, but that was my last time seeing you. Oh, okay. and And, okay. Uh, yeah, I got a chance to come backstage and say hi to you and meet your sister, uh, Yvonne. Mm-hmm. And it was just really lovely, really, Thank really you. lovely. And I haven't had a chance, like I said, since I didn't know I was going to have this interview, um, to actually um, get a copy of, um, of the uh, hideout, um, you know, your... You're, uh, yeah, uh little bit
6: of the hideout. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. that was recorded it's been almost a year now, huh? Yeah, well, actually it was um yeah, in November it was the the day before the election, November third. Oh. That it was released, um uh, uh, I mean that we record we recorded it mm-hmm. uh last year in June. Right. And but um it was released right on election day. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's not quite a year old yet. Okay. But but uh, Matt, they should have sent you uh, a CD.
1: Yeah, no, he didn't send me anything. <laughs> he
6: should have sent it. He should have sent you one when you first asked for the interview. That's yeah. terrible. I'll let him know though. Okay. They'll Thank send you. Send you one.
1: Okay, but I was just, you know, just sort of looking at, um, you know, the breadth of your career and and you know it, it being, you know, this particular conversation, you know. Um, being the week of Juneteenth, and uh, we actually uh, poured libations for the Ancestors um, in the international libation at the same time this past Saturday, the, the 13th. Mm-hmm. And at that time, one of the uh, participants, he said that all the teens, <laughs> we claim them all, so like the 13th through the 19th, <laughs> right, they're all Freedom right. Days. I'm like, oh, oh I I see. See. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I just wanted to ask you, I hadn't realized until I was doing some research this morning, you know uh, your involvement um, and sort of how the, the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in particular, and and you know and Papa Staples, uh, you know believing in in, in his cause and, and saying you know that he you know really uh, loved Dr. King that sort of you know. Took you all into the civil rights movement. I wondered if you could talk about uh, some of the parallels between um, your your activity, you know, as as culture workers in the civil rights movement, and your activity now as a culture worker in sort of the new movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, uh, you know, we we we
6: began uh, singing uh, strictly gospel mm-hmm. when we first started singing back in in uh, late 1949, 1950. Wow. and, and um, uh, we happened to be in Montgomery on a Sunday we didn't have to sing until that night and uh, uh, Pop uh, wanted to go down to Dr. King's uh, church, he told us that this man Martin Luther King is here and he's been hearing him on the radio mm-hmm. and uh, he wanted to go to his church so we all went down to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and, and uh, we were ushered in uh, seated and Someone let Dr. King know that we were in the service, and he acknowledged us,
0: mm-hmm.
6: and uh, said he was happy to have uh, Pop Staples and his daughters in the service this morning, mm-hmm. and we hope you enjoy the service. Well, after, Dr. King was standing at the door to shake worshipers' hands, and the uh, Pop still then talked to him for a while. Later on that day, we get back to the hotel. Pop called us to his room again and told us he really liked... This man's message mm-hmm. He said I like his message And uh, I think that If he can preach it We can sing it mm-hmm. So we began writing Freedom songs We joined the movement and we, we, uh, we We We,
0: we <clears throat> uh,
6: Sang we, we, we sang before Dr. King would speak uh, Our first song That we wrote was March Up Freedom's Highway and that was for the march from Selma to Montgomery.
0: Uh-huh.
6: Then uh, it's a long walk to D.C., but I got my walking shoes on. <laughs> that was for the march to Washington. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, pops, we, we, we saw nine black children uh, uh, trying to board a school bus in the Rock, Arkansas, back in 1959, I believe it was. And, and, and uh, um, uh, when they finally, you know, we saw them being so abused and, 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 um, uh, uh Pops, we watched the news and, and he just said to himself, now why are they treating them so bad? Why are they treating them like that? And he wrote that song that evening, hmm. which this song turned out to be Dr. King's favorite. As as time went on, you know, we would march and sing when we could be with the, with everyone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we would be working. And, uh, uh, but, uh, that was a time for me that, um, just made me feel like we were doing something that we were supposed to be doing. You know, uh, uh, to to me, we were still singing gospel because we were singing truth. And, and, um, uh, it just, from, from the time we started going in the South singing, my father had, had, uh. Uh, let us know what to expect uh, uh, when we were in the South, and you know he just conditioned us mm-hmm. for going. Up. But then, as we started singing these songs, it, it it felt like to me, well. We we we're singing. We, we we've been abused down here. We we've been to jail. We've been uh, uh, ran off the road, off the highway, and and um, we've been to where we couldn't drink off the water fountain mm-hmm. or go into a bathroom. Uh, unless we went into color, you know, uh, we couldn't stay in hotels. So to be singing these songs, to me and to all of us, was like we were we were planning something new. We were helping to get to another place in our life, to a better place, you know, where we could be accepted and and uh, uh, now and in, in these later years. I felt the same way. I felt, You know, Pops used to tell the drivers, I mean, the writers, mm-hmm. uh, the songwriters, if you want to write for the Staple Singers, read the headlines. Mm-hmm. We wanted to sing about what was happening in the world today and to try to sing a song to try to fix it. And uh, so when I recorded uh, uh, um, my CD, We'll Never Turn Back, mm-hmm. with Rykuda, Uh, That's what I was doing, reading the headlines, and it's still here. Uh, uh, the, 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 the racism, and uh, and uh, you know, the whole bit from the 60s, uh, uh, I saw Katrina. I saw, well, I'm reading the headlines, I'm still seeing that, uh, uh, a white policeman shot down a, a young black man 50 rounds. On his way to his wedding, and uh, right here in Chicago, I can see on the news um, a black family might move into um, a, a, a white neighborhood, and they get in just fine. They get moved in, but but uh, overnight, when they get up in the morning, there there's graffiti on their garage with the N word. Get out. There's cross in the yard. Uh, uh, their their, their car is sprayed with graffiti. You know, so it, it it it's it's still here. It's still uh, uh it, it was it was still time. It was a time for me, I'll say, to sing those songs again. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh um and wouldn't we do it in seventy in or seven.
0: Right, yes. Mm-hmm. And
6: and uh it's just it's just um me uh, singing my life uh, uh, Around in a full circle And, and come back To these songs that, that So that this generation These young people Today Can 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 hear these songs And know what they're about And know that the, what we went through mm-hmm. You know to get them To where they can uh, be today And uh, uh So um they need to know least, 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 this is history, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was proud to have lived uh, uh, in a time where I, I just just looked and saw history being made. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I walked, I, I stood by Dr. Martin Luther King, shook his hand, mm-hmm. would speak to him. He would never talk to us girls. He would always talk to Pop, but he would just say, "How are you doing, girls?" <laughs> All right, yes, sir. <laughs> but uh, he and Pop were, 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 were got really close.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: So uh, um, this is where I am today.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
6: I, I've uh, I've made the the CD will Never Turn Back," and then a live CD singing the songs. For, uh, <clears throat> so people be saying, "Well, Mavis, what are you going?" To you know, I, I I feel now it's time to move on. I won't stop singing those songs, but but I'd like to sing now about a brighter day ahead. You know, something happy, something, yeah, some happy, still uplifting, spiritual songs, but but um, you know, just just uh, with our new president, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, we we that's that's one thing that i never thought i would live to see and 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 uh it just it was just overwhelming you know when this young man uh, to be president of the united states you know so so uh i feel with that with that happening we have moved a little closer yes. we moved a lot closer you know but you you, you still the songs are still needed. I believe these songs will be needed for long after I'm going on to glory, mm-hmm. you know, because I just cannot see the, the, the people, uh, not all white, some, you know, some are going to hold on. You see how these, these all these hate crimes are popping up and all of these uh, the Ku Klux Klan are uh, uh, suiting up again, <laughs> you know, so... It's it's gonna always be some that um, you know don't want to have harmony
0: mm-hmm.
6: and 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 live together in this world, you know. So this is this is um, where where are you in Laytonville? No, no, I'm in
1: Oakland, California.
6: Oh, you're in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I knew we were going to Layton.
1: Right. Yeah. you're, you're Layton is not far away. It's, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's. it's I think it's about two or three hours away from me from where I am presently. I mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, it's easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, yeah, I was just thinking, um, as you were talking about, you know, Chicago's, you know, history with regards to, you know, having Lorraine Hansberry there, you know, and her history with her father as, mm-hmm. a, as a as a broker, moving the family into neighborhoods where, you know, African-Americans weren't or desired and um and you know and, and sort of the terrorism that faced her family, you know, the scary terrorism and, and the and her play, you know, Raising in the Sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I was thinking about Emma Till and his mother and, you know, Emma Till was from Chicago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We lived
1: through all
6: of that. Mhm. We a young man, you know, in a, um right from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And and we we honor Emmett Till every year oh. and his mother.
0: Mm-hmm. You know that
6: we have a uh, uh, Emmett Till uh, Boulevard. You know and and uh, there's a a memorial for him every year. <clears throat> and we knew his mother. We never didn't get a chance to meet him. Mm-hmm. But um, his mother uh, uh, worked close in the churches and you know she did a lot of good things before she passed. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, a lot of uh, come out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Chicago. Dr. King said Chicago was the worst place mm-hmm. that he he uh, had visited when he was marching. He said Chicago. Uh, uh, you know the people were just so so rude. So but he had a, a, an uprising. You know he came to Chicago and stayed a few days and marched mm-hmm. and and. Uh, uh stones were thrown at dr king yeah you know it, he he felt some felt some really really evil bad feelings about chicago
0: mm-hmm. so yeah we we uh
6: um uh, uh, uh we have a history of uh, and you know you remember what well, you i don't know how old you are but sixty i think it was sixty nine when they had the big riot after the uh uh, no, that was that was sixty uh, eight. Uh uh how the police were beating mm-hmm. beating people down because yeah. they were um uh marching. Mm-hmm. They were Dr. King has been assassinated. Mm-hmm. So uh that's just where we are now. That's where, you know, we the staple singers we've always um uh wanted to sing songs with a positive message. And and uh, I I still say that I am a, a gospel singer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm that's home for me. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so uh, and and mostly anything I sing, a house is not a home. Mm-hmm. the you're gonna hear my some gospel. in my voice I think because mm-hmm. uh, when I recorded a house is not a home, the gospel disc jockeys picked it up and played it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's one really wonderful thing about you know about your work and and um and the Staple Singers is you know you're I guess you were one of the first ensembles that one could say had audiences from a variety of different types of, of tastes. I mean, you know, you have people that, you know, were strictly gospel I and mean, you have people oh, that were more R and B and I mean right. now, you know, you've got audiences in the hip hop community, the folk community. Right. I mean, you know, anyone, like you were saying, I really liked when you said that, um, you're singing the truth. Mm-hmm. So so that means that it's open.
6: That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and and whatever. You know, uh, uh and pop I finally uh, um, started telling people you know we we're not categorizing our music mm-hmm. because it's it's some of everything, some of all types in our in our music uh, the sounds uh the, the folk we we all of a sudden we were doing folk festivals, mm-hmm. jazz festivals we've had uh, cannonball Adderley and uh, some other jazz artists to to um Record our songs In fact cannonball did, why am I treated so bad?
0: Mm. <laughs> we
6: thought that was great, yeah, you know? mm-hmm. and uh, that's a live c d that he's playing that on, and he talked about pops pop Papa staples, and he wrote this song, and boy pops just my <laughs> <laughs> and so pop my father was really really a a, a great man,
0: mhm,
6: yeah. yeah. Pop, so uh, he, he just took us, and this way. my mother. He wanted to he wanted the kids with him all the time. Mm-hmm. So my mother just let him go.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, he was a hands-on father, you know. He would he would take us to the movies on Saturdays, and take us to Sunday school on Sunday mornings.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And he'd uh, he'd make us popcorn balls and and make us homemade candy, peanut brittle. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he—he just—he uh, was a father. And back then, you know, the, the, the ladies in the church—they would just just go all over. Here's a father with his children. You just don't see that. And he is the father. You know? And and, uh, and that made us proud. Made Pop proud because we were—we were with our father, and and it got so we hung with our father so much. People started asking, "Is your mother alive?" <laughs> mm-hmm. We you say "Yeah, our mother, our mother's <laughs> on my mother. She's our 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 spiritual. She was the wheel in the middle of a wheel. Mm-hmm. She kept everything going. If we had a little argument, Mama would, she'd know just how to to get it better. And uh, no, no, you do no. And and she was the world's greatest cook. Mm-hmm. She was just the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. She would make sweet potato pies, and uh, uh, you could taste the butter. You know, she'd put coconut in them sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh,
6: uh, my father started taking mama's sweet potato pies to this jockey. And so uh, it got <laughs> so, uh, uh, the the um, people started saying, well, paper singers don't need no uh, payola because they have pieola." the people, they would play our songs because Mama was giving them sleep. I was there to say, well, that's all right, you know.
1: -hmm. That's amazing because, you know, know, when you see uh, films like uh, the recent one, I think it was called Cadillac, and it's talking about the music industry and how, you know, how... It wasn't, you know, talent or having a good piece, of good quality work, wasn't necessarily what meant that you would get played. Right. It meant that who you knew in the studio and 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 whether or not you made it worth their while. Wow. That's right. Yeah, and I wonder. That's truth. Yeah, has it changed any? Um. Oh well, you know, I I I just I just can't
6: say because uh um we stopped uh, really being in the uh the the the, the swing of the. Record labels,
0: mm-hmm.
6: and uh, 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 you know when, when when disco came in, that 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 people didn't want to hear any good music anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And uh, then uh, rap came, mm-hmm. and and uh, all, all during this time, the, the the record companies, like they're supposed to be like only one record company now, because they all merged. Yeah. And then the the disc jockeys, you just you can't just go in. Anymore to see them the doors are locked.
0: Mm
6: -hmm. You could just walk in the studio Mm -hmm. and uh, Go on the radio talk to the disc jockeys, but uh, you had need an appointment now So I don't I'm not around I'm not in that loop where I would know if if anybody is paying uh, The disc jockeys it's uh, it's the record company, but I don't think they really they're really into that anymore Mm -hmm. I don't think they I think that payola, cause, cause that was illegal, and uh, somebody went to jail back then. Uh, I mean, they got, got in big trouble for payola. So, uh, I just don't hear about it anymore. <laughs> you know, we, we're on a different train
1: now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering um, if you could talk about um, some of the women um, artists that you really admired. I remember we had a conversation. You were talking about how you really love Mahalia Jackson, mm. and I was wondering if you could talk about her and about Odetta, and also if, if, um, if you um, if you could talk about Ruth Brown, if you had any relationship with her.
6: Okay. All right. Now, this is going to be my last uh, sure.
1: question. Okay.
6: Yeah, now, my sister Mahalia Jackson, was my idol. Mm -hmm. Um, She was the very first female voice that I heard on the record. uh, When I was about eight years old, seven or eight, uh, my father would play these big 78 records. You know. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, uh, And he would always play males, the, the quartet like uh, the Soul Stirrers, the Fairfield Four, uh, uh, the Blind Boys. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would just always hear those the men singing. And one one day, I was back in my little play area, and I heard this lady's voice. And it just moved me on up into the living room where Pops was. And and I sat on the floor. When it finished, I said, who was that daddy? He said, "May was that Sister Mahalia Jackson. And he could tell, I liked it. He said, you like it, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I like it. And then Pops had to play Sister Mahalia Jackson for me just just about every day. And uh, one day he came in, he said, Mavis, guess what? Well, now, I'm about 11 years old now. And I said, what, Daddy? He said, they want us to open up for Sister Mahalia Jackson down at Tabernacle Baptist Church on Monday. And oh, my little heart just felt like it was coming out of my chest. I got so excited, and and um, this was the first chance I had to meet her. And and uh, I remember so well what she said to me, how she looked when she came in the in the door. She looked like a giant princess to me, because mm-hmm. <laughs> she was already dressed. She had on her uh, like a an ivory-colored brocade gown, and so I ran over to her. My mother my, my mother, my father had told my mother Because cause all that weekend that I was talking See, Pop told me this on a Friday And I had to wait until Monday night <laughs> I had to wait the whole weekend so, so I would be walking around the house Talking about what I'm going to say to her And uh, how I couldn't wait to see I was singing her song And uh, Pop, my, my mother told me She said, amazing baby don't get on her nerves, yeah. I said, Mama, I'm not going to get on her nerves. And so they had my sisters watching me. Uh, it turned out that we were dressing in the same dressing room with Sister May Jackson, and uh, Yvonne and Cleety were watching me, but I was watching the door. Mm-hmm. And when she came in, I ran over, I'm, and I told her, I said, Hello, Sister. Hello, Mrs. Sister Maddie Jackson. But I, I thought Sister was her first name. <laughs> pops would always say, Sister Mahalia Jackson. So she laughed. She got tickled the way I said it. And she said, Well, how are you, baby? And uh, I said, Oh, I'm fine. My name is Mavis. And I sing with my family. I sing with my father, my brother, my sister. She said, Oh, well, I want to hear you sing. And, and uh, so when we came back out from singing, she told me, you're a good little old singer. And then she gave me some advice on how to to keep my voice and how to come out, <laughs> how to go out after singing. Mm-hmm. You know, to always dry off, dry my skin and and, uh, um, and wait before I go out in the air. And uh, we worked with Mrs. Mahalia Jackson many, many times after that.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: It came to her, she and my mother, she would come to our house on the Fourth of July for barbecue.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And so she, uh, and and uh, she was just the greatest, the greatest. There will never be another Sister Mahalia Jackson. Mm-hmm. And Odetta, the same. Odetta was just the most beautiful voice. You know that that uh, she would take you back. You know she 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 would take you back to the times uh, when you would. It just seemed like for me. I used to stay down south with my grandmother
0: mm-hmm. when
6: I was a kid, and and oh, uh, that reminded me of the sounds that I heard down in Mississippi in the little wooden church up on the hill.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, where there was nothing but patting your feet and and clapping your hands. No, no piano, mm-hmm. no organs. You know, and just just the sound of those voices uh, um, in that little church, you know, and, and that wind, uh, that's a sound I'll never forget. And when I would hear Odetta sing, uh, uh, she sing, uh, I'm on my way to freedom land, you know, and she, her voice was just strong, you know, and she, you know, Odetta herself. It was just a beautiful, beautiful spirit. Mm-hmm. She was just so beautiful. And uh, mm-hmm. the last time I saw her, last time I saw Sister Mayhew Jackson mm-hmm. was in 1969 oh. when we were doing a, a gospel festival. And she, I had my my the best uh, um, feeling of my career. I had to sing with her.
0: Mm-hmm. She would
6: lean over, she said, Baby Haiti don't feel too good and I need you to help me sing this song. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, um Odetta, the last time I saw her was, was we did a, an all uh female they called it the Lady of the Blues, but um ladies of the blues. It was five of us I think. Mm-hmm. Irma Thomas, myself, Odetta and uh someone else was I think a little young guitarist. Uh, but um that was at at uh, uh, Morgan Freeman's club in, in uh Clarksdale, Mississippi.
0: Uh-huh. and
6: uh uh they filmed it. Uh, that I can't think of the year but it was um, it was uh in it was in The 90s, I think, like 99, Mm -hmm. 1999, maybe 2000. But uh, that was the last time I saw Odetta, And uh, uh, Ruth Brown Mm -hmm. was just a buddy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We were partners. Mm -hmm. We were like partners in crime. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) She could talk. We would gossip. You know, we would have big fun, big fun. And uh, I met Ruth Brown way back uh, in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, A friend of mine knew her, and um, uh, she was at a a club downtown Chicago, and I went with him to see her. And from that that day on, that night on, we we just stayed friends and Mm -hmm. uh, had each other's phone number. We called each other, and uh, we worked together quite a bit. Yeah. But she was something else uh, She uh, she could really talk I, I know I can talk But, but I met my match mm-hmm. When I ran in her round. I'd have to stop and listen Because she would be telling such good stories And talking so good You know And uh, uh, I, I miss Ruth I miss uh, Odetta um, I'm trying to think The last time I saw Ruth it was. It was at uh, um, New York Radio Hall, a mm. uh, Radio City Music Hall in New York.
0: Uh-huh.
6: We did a, a and and uh, Odetta was there too. Odetta came to our room and said she wanted to dress you. I want to be with my sister, hmm. and she dressed in in uh, my dressing room because that was a that was a, a, a fair that the uh, director. Morton Scorsese. Oh. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
6: he did this. It, that's a that's a DVD, too. You
1: mean the Lightning in the Bottle one?
6: Lightning in the Bottle. Okay. Right. And uh, that was the last time huh. that I saw Ruth. In fact, we went to that, that thing together. Yeah, we were staying in the same hotel.
0: hmm
6: And Ruth, uh, uh, she was carrying on. She's a big clown. You know, she's, she's a really all of those ladies. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I, I'm so grateful, so grateful to be fortunate enough to 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 meet them, mm-hmm. to be in their presence. Right. They
1: yeah. were hmm Yeah, and I I just um wanted to mention that um Gwendolyn Brooks is also a Chicagoan, and she's a you sure is yeah, and Boy. yeah, and her birthday is this month. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, she's a Gemini like me. Uh. <laughs>
6: All right, there's there's some good Geminis. Uh, Isn't as nice as Gemini? All right, you
0: know
6: that. Yeah, Prince's birthday was June 7th.
0: Okay.
6: And, uh, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of (laughs) y'all.
0: Yes, indeed.
6: Yeah. But Gemini are good people. (laughs) Creative, creative, because you got so many working for you. You got twins, and then both of them, you got another set.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
6: um, yeah, there's some great, great people. <laughs> well,
1: thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for the interview. And perhaps, you know, at some other time we might be able to talk, um, uh, you know, later on, you know, when, you know, you talked about how you're going to be um, singing other songs. So let I me mean, okay. nice talk to you about that. Okay, that would be good. Yeah, I want to tell right. you that your website is yeah, really I have, nice. Uh, mm-hmm. I could go on and
6: on, but... But someone
1: else is supposed to call me. Right. Okay, well, yeah, I want to let you go. Um, But I also want to ask you um, just for future reference. Um, I asked uh, Matt, and he told me that, because actually I have a radio show, and I I had requested that I could record our interview for broadcast, and he told me that I couldn't. And I was wondering, do you do radio interviews? Sure, I do. Oh, okay, because I was wondering what the problem was. Okay. He told you you couldn't? Yeah, that I couldn't. Um. I couldn't record you for a later broadcast. Um, it's internet radio, but it's live, so I, I didn't understand, so anyway, I just was wondering about that. Oh, okay.
0: Okay. What's well, Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh,
6: you can send it up. Now i got to go to the television. Okay.
1: Sure. Yeah.
6: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but I don't, I don't understand that either, because uh, I do uh, interviewed right on the radio. Mm-hmm. If the person is on the radio, yeah. you know, or if you wanted to record it and use it on your show, mm-hmm. you know, I don't understand that either.
1: Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, I think you can. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Okay, All right, thank you so much. so much. All right, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> well, you heard it from Miss Staples, and that's why you're hearing it now. <laughs> she said I could. So um, <laughs> that was Mavis Staples, and I didn't believe it. That Gosh, she's been... um uh recording for fifty two years now. It's <laughs> so amazing. And um I uh wanted to let you know again that she's gonna be in California at the Kate Wolf Memorial Festival in Laytonville and she's gonna be closing it out on Sunday, June twenty eighth. And I want to mention that her um uh Mavis Staples Live Hope at the Hideout, yeah, the fourteen tracks are um For What It's Worth, Eyes on the Prize, which is really nice. Down in Mississippi, waiting in the water, waiting for my child. This little light, why am I treated so bad? Freedom Highway, We shall Not Be Moved. Circles, uh, which is what I played at the beginning, start of the hour. Uh, Will the circle be unbroken? The encore, On My Way, another encore, which is nice. And I'll take you there, one of the staple uh, staple uh, uh Singer Staples. And so what I'm going to close with on this interview, and then I'm going to Roll right into uh, Ruthie Foster I think I'll play um, I'm going to play Have a Little Faith The title track of the CD by that title And uh, and then I'm going to roll right into um, uh, Ruthie Foster And I might play You know, I really, really like her <laughs> Title track um, uh, Truth According To But I might play another one of hers um, Maybe Stone Love, I'm not sure yet um, So as soon as I find it I'm looking right now. Um, I will play the (laughs) – oh, here we go. Um, I will play um, the uh, Have a Little Faith. Really, really, really nice. And then the next song I'm going to play, I'm going to play a piece by Ruthie Foster from her her latest. And, again, she's going to be here. Ruthie Foster's band is going to be here um, on the – Friday, uh, June 26th, so that's uh, also in Laytonville for the Cave World Memorial Festival, and she's going to be going on at 8 o'clock, as I said before. So here's Mavis Staples, Have a Little Faith. little face. and here's Ruthie Foster stone love from the truth according to year also, and uh, like you say, your, your tour schedule, you're just like all over the place, you know, like you're going to be in Leighton um, on Friday, and I was wondering, do you know what time you're going to be performing at the uh, concert there? I think it's um, it's right before
7: the main act, I think we're on about 8 and so, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, i was okay. just looking at my itinerary mm-hmm. this morning, trying to figure out what time my flight actually takes off for that area.
0: Right,
1: Yeah. Um, but let's see. Yeah, I have 805. When we start. Okay. So. Yeah. So, um, are you familiar with the Kate Wolf Festival? Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I love that festival.
7: Mhm. Bring out
0: the, the folkness in
7: me. Ah.
1: Okay. okay. And, and yeah, I was looking at um, you know um, what's the name of the city you're from? Um, uh, I looked it up. Is it Gross, Texas? Uh-huh. 'Cause I had never heard of it. Um and so, um, in reading different things about you, uh, it you know, they say that, you know, you're born in um uh Brazos Valley of Central Texas, um and then yeah, and that you had a strong mother and uh I guess you had a strong grandmother too. Um, the one that taught you how to uh what, project toward the door, or sing toward the door yeah yeah So, wonder well, if you could tell us um sort of um sort of how you um developed your voice and and decided to make this your career
6: well it
7: it's it's kind of a, it's it's an ongoing process and mm-hmm. it started early with my my grandmother as you mentioned she's mm-hmm. big mama yeah told
0: uh-huh <laughs> uh, that's great you've got a
1: big mama that's really cool the folks that have big mamas. <laughs>
7: And, uh, yeah, Big Mama would work with me on um, standing in front of people and, you know, public speaking in church
0: Mm -hmm. because
7: that was our life uh, with with work and school and play and church. And and, uh, it was uh, definitely one of those things that um, Big Mama wanted us to have a place Mm -hmm. within the community and the family and in the church. My strong suit, she recognized early that I was a a really shy kid, Mm. so she worked with me on public speaking on how to, you know, I was working on my speech and uh, trying not to stutter and fall all over myself, and uh, my mother was a beautiful singer, and she insisted that I, after listening to me play the guitar for a couple years and not sing, she burst in my room one one day and basically said, now, you got to open your mouth and sing at some point, and so mm-hmm. she was uh, a real influence of my, starting to sing more in front of people.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: So, and, and, you know, the gospel music and blues music was a huge part of my house household, too. We listened to gospel music all the time, uh-huh. uh, to Rosetta Sarp, to, you know, even Blind Boys of Alabama, which I just got off the, the road with. Yeah. I grew up listening to the, the original Blind Boys uh, recordings
0: mm-hmm. and uh,
7: you know, in the 70s, it was Andre Crouch and Sandra Crouch and, you know, I had a lot of cousins who were great singers and uh, real influential on in my wanting to be able to sing. And, uh, and blues was a huge part of what we listened to in the house. Uh, my dad was a big Lightning Hopkins, Muddy Waters mm-hmm. fan, even Ike and Tina Turner, he and my mother. Would go out and see I continue turning when they would tour through uh, East East Texas for the band. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, a lot of soul music was uh, a big influence on me growing up. Mm-hmm. And mostly just listening to music. I did a lot of listening in the early, early years. Not so much singing. I sang some, but it was really about listening and, and learning um, the, the different genres. And really, taking that away, taking the boundaries away from the genres, and, and realizing that I just had a love for music, period, because I loved uh, show music and musicals, and I loved, uh, you know, rare records that people forget about, like uh, Stevie Wonder when he put out a record called Secret Life of Plants. Plant, that was all uh, synthesized music. I loved that. It was something very different from anything I'd ever heard on the radio. So I I grew up kind of a strange child when it it came to, uh, uh, well, just different when it came to uh, mixing with my cousins and all, because the more I got into music, the more I kind of pulled away from, uh, you know, playtime. Playtime for me was sitting there and listening to records and just, uh, you know, getting into how how something was produced and what did that sound come from. why is that lick there? Mm-hmm. It's about just really picking apart uh, music in every every way. And I eventually took some music lessons. My grandmother, big mom, and my mother had a lot to do with that. And they insisted I take piano. Oh, okay. Yeah, piano was uh, my first instrument mm-hmm. from about uh, 11 years old on. And I eventually uh, incorporated guitar because my dad got me a guitar after a lot of begging. <laughs> he gave me a guitar for Christmas uh, when I was about 12
1: mm-hmm.
7: So I was uh, learning both I was learning guitar and piano at the same time and So that's just, uh, even more if it's on my wanting to write
0: mm-hmm.
7: And so uh, here I have all this background in gospel music and soul And, and blues and, and uh, you know, top 40 What was on the radio in the 70s From Al Green to, Andre Crouch, uh, and learning how to, wanting to write this music, and, and, uh, so, you know, I just kind of took all of that and eventually, eventually ended up in, in, uh, in school, mm-hmm. went to college, and uh, studied music for three years in, in Waco at a, uh,
0: oh.
7: a community college there, a mm-hmm. uh, little program called, uh, it's a commercial music program. It's kind of like a little Berkeley School of Music right here in the middle of Central Texas. Nice. That a lot of folks don't know about, but mm-hmm. should. And I got real hands-on experience with working with musicians and learning how to write and arrange and uh, sight sing and lots of ear training and even more intense piano training.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: And uh, those are the skills I, I you know, it's, that really focused, you know, focused my uh, my, my musical instrument instrument, which is voice, mm-hmm. and it just basically brought me back to just one instrument, and that's being a, a great vocal stylist. I spent a lot of years working on my voice during that time, and I still run into a couple of instructors from here to, you know, here
0: to every now and then. Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, when I'm on the road, I just ran into my, my old music director who's in Chicago right now, and I still go to him for advice okay. on
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's his,
7: his name? His name is David Hibbert, H-I-B-B-A-R-D. Oh. Yeah, David Hibbert is uh, basically started the commercial music program here mm-hmm. uh, in, in Texas, in Waco. Yeah. Oh,
1: wow. So you say here, so you still live in Texas?
7: I do. I live in Austin. I'm in Austin, and, and uh, you know, here mm-hmm. in the central part of the. Uh, the heart of Texas is what we call
1: it. Mm-hmm. It's hot. Eighty eight degrees right now. Oh, is it? Okay, I'm gonna be in Austin tomorrow for a week.
7: Oh, uh, bring some uh yeah, bring what bring clothes that are cool.
1: <laughs> bring some of the Pacific Ocean, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, that's really interesting. Um, so your um The Truth according to Ruthie Foster is your sixth album, right? Yeah, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, I was just, um, you know, just, I really love, you know, the stories that you tell here. Um, it's, you could say that, you know, thematically it's about love, um, <laughs> you know, there's, well, there's all different kinds of love, and the lyrics are just phenomenal, and and the, your instrumentation, it's just, it's just really, really cool what you do with the guitar, I mean, you know, from like, so sort the of real. Uh, sort of like bluegrass kind of sounds and you know it's a real quiet and mellow and I was wondering um if uh you could talk about sort of how you pull this um this this album together and 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 who's on it with you um I was reading that you've got like some really you know phenomenal artists that are. Performing with you, and I was wondering, are you know who's going to be traveling with you? Um, you know, from the album, and or do you have like a another band? And this was a studio recording. How did you pull that pull this together?
7: Well, the, the record came together mm-hmm. with um, the help of uh, Chris Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of stayed in touch with each other through email and, and P 3s
0: mm-hmm.
7: and then music back and forth. Um, uh, as far as what we we wanted, the kind of music, the kind of record we knew we wanted to do, but we started with one song at a time, mm-hmm. and, of course, starting off with songs that I had been sitting on, and songs that I had, I was writing at the time, uh, like Stone Love, and, mm-hmm. and, and Truth, actually, was one of those songs that almost didn't make the record. I wrote it the day I was supposed to leave for Memphis, ah. to record. and it still wasn't quite finished then, but Chris didn't know that. I just kind of made up words as I... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. while we were tracking and uh, they seemed to work out. But, yeah, um, we we have Robin Ford on guitar in the studio and uh, it was a real thrill to get a chance to get him to come out and record with us there in Memphis because uh, Robin's semi-retired so he only comes out when he really wants to.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
7: so I know that that meant, it, it really means a lot to me that he did that. Um, gosh, we've got um, uh, Jim Dickinson on keys, he's worked with the Rolling Stones and Rita Franklin. Uh, a lot of this, these phone calls, mm-hmm. uh, well, all of them, Chris made. Okay. Yeah, so I guess he's got a pretty uh, pretty big, important black book when it comes to musicians. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, I'm real, real grateful that uh, he was able to get these guys to come out and we did it in Memphis because I wanted to have a soul sound,
0: mm-hmm. kind of uh,
7: extend on the phenomenal record that we put out before,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
7: and take that soul to Memphis, because Memphis is a, this is a totally different feel as mm-hmm. far as soul music. Uh, you know, the Saks record, where that came out of, uh, you know, that, that feel for music is just, uh, just dripping soul. And it just good barbecue, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> barbecue.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: So give me an excuse to be in Memphis and uh, and uh, uh, capture some of the some of the you know some of that that, that mystique about the about digging deep, you know, go to the bone
0: mm-hmm.
7: uh, kind of feel. And we recorded during um, Isaac. Isaac Hayes passed it a little bit before that. Oh, yeah. oh, wow! His memorial service was actually on one of the days that we did.
0: Mhm.
7: am uh, not sure what song that was. It was one one of the songs that we did the kind of paying homage to that um, that that Wawa guitar sound. Oh,
0: the, yeah.
7: Signature. Mm-hmm. Robin managed to uh, channel in on that
0: mm-hmm.
7: on uh, one of the tunes. Sure, which one it was. But it's, it's really cool how he captures that because we sat around and talked about Isaac cage for a while, and,
0: mm-hmm. and
7: all of the soul singers that came out of Memphis and still are in Memphis. And uh, it, it just really, uh, it, it it just came together. Chris is a great producer mm-hmm. in a way that um, he brings all of these elements together: with musicians and great songs, and just a, a feel-good air about and in the studio and then he gets out of the way Uh and not a lot of producers um, allow that allow an artist and musician to do that and I appreciated that about him Mm -hmm. it was my first time working with him and it was a pretty good experience it was a very good experience overall Mm -hmm. seeing that um, we were able to come together and agree uh, and you know and and compromise on uh, the individual songs that we ended up with
1: yeah. So um, uh, this way of uh, how did you meet him, and, and so this way of, of pulling together an album, you know, having um, you know Chris acting as a facilitator, you know, you all talking about vision, and then I guess him, like you say, going to his black book and seeing who he knew that can facilitate your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Compared to other ways that you made your albums, um, was the process one that you like to repeat?
2: Oh, you know, I, I'm
7: one of these people that I try so many different things. That's mm-hmm. why there's such a, a different sound with each record that I put out. Yeah. I, I can't say I would try the same thing mm-hmm. because I don't know if it's just because of the way I was raised, where you're you know you're raised to be creative mm-hmm. or you put in situations where you have to be creative to get something different started and to keep that fire going. Mm-hmm. It's always something different that, that moves me. And I try to go with that, and that's how I end up in so many different genres, and I end up working with so many different types of people, not mm-hmm. just musicians, but types of musicians. Um, I met Chris when I did a candy tour, Columbia artist uh, management tour. I was touring with uh, Bill Italy and Alvin Youngblood Heart. Wow, yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Chris was a part of the team that put that together.
0: Ah. Oh. Yeah, so I, I met him early
7: on during that that period,
0: mm-hmm. and he
7: also was behind the uh, the second candy tour that I did mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year with Robin, Robin Ford, yeah, and Yarma, Yarma Mhm. So he and I have been, you know, in you know talking to each other off and on about music, and music that we love, and music that we grew up with, and how to bring that into these times, and still still. Um, You'll pay homage to the sound, you know, that simple sound back then, Mm -hmm. and uh, and and even just reaching back and calling up some of the musicians, you know, from from that period, like Jim Dickinson, Mm
0: -hmm. and
7: folks like Wayne Jackson, who's the leader of the Memphis Mm Horns, and uh, uh, folks like Charlie Hodges, who is responsible for that beautiful B three. Intro to Love and Happiness from Al Green.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
7: know, we call up these guys. He would call and ask me if that, it's okay if he could, you know, try to get in touch with these these folks.
0: Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these folks, you know,
7: some of them play still, and some of them, you know, they they hang around the house until they feel like they want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they can. Yes.
1: Yeah.
7: And that's the beauty of it. And so I was just thrilled that we got a yes from just about everybody. We got. Mm-hmm. Come up and and uh, and play with it. I like to, I like to look at it that way. Come play with us. Right.
1: Yeah, well, that's all. We only awesome. had three days. So
7: really? Yeah.
0: Oh so my.
7: Pretty much the basic tracks were done in three days, and we used a lot of the first and second takes. Mm-hmm. So that was a serious, um, real uh, connecting soul energy going on from from the first beat on. And uh, you know I have to I have to mention Rock Dietrich, who's the uh, drummer for this. Yes. Yeah. And Rock's played with uh, well, he toured with Tracy Chapman. Mm-hmm. And Ben Harper. So, Liz Wright. Really? Oh, love Liz Wright. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Rock's been around, and he's, he's a great singer, and mm-hmm. he's a connection for a lot of uh, L.A. contacts that we we needed when we went to do the vocals.
0: Mm-hmm. A
7: oh. With some great background vocalist for you here on, on this CD as well.
0: Yeah. And then
7: Larry who's the, a bass player. I've known Larry for years. He's mm-hmm. toured with Taj Mahal and
0: mm-hmm. uh,
7: countless countless other uh, artists. And um, Larry lives here in Texas. He lives in the Houston area.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: So it turns out we brought those two guys together. They were the first to get there in Memphis. And they knew each yeah. other from way back when they both lived in L.A. and we had no idea. So. Getting those two together is like watching two brothers, you know, like family coming together again and getting a chance to talk about old times.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow, that's
1: great. But that's amazing that you did this in three days.
7: Yeah, it was a lot of Starbucks coffee, uh, (laughs) lots of uh, vegetable plates for Robin and barbecue for the rest of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow. You know, um, the anniversary of um, uh, Texas in Texas getting in Texas getting the news um, about the end of uh, of slavery and uh, uh your family um, is indigenous to to Texas um like do you all go back for generations there uh,
7: yeah a few generations back mm-hmm. um Mississippi is about where my great great uh, grandfather hmm comes from. Okay. in Georgia. Okay.
1: But for the most part is Texas. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty much my family. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then, you know, like you said, uh, Texas does, has produced a lot of really wonderful musicians. I was wondering sort of, uh, do you feel that sort of those roots, you know, coming up through you into your, um, uh, into your work and are there any particular stories that that uh, or themes that you want to get across, no matter what uh, the incarnation of the particular project is. Ooh,
7: that's a big question. <laughs> a couple of questions in there. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the the Texas theme, I think it's a it's a real. Um, I think it's a, it's a real privilege that you know get a chance. From Texas and uh, a, pl- a plus, mm-hmm. because there's so many different uh, sounds that come through here. You know, even Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. you
0: know,
7: has been made in honorary Texas. and oh, okay. loves that. He, You know, he talks about that in his last Rolling Stone uh, interview. How he loves that about Texas, where there's just so many different types of music that come comes out of this. this area, this place, and, and it's accepted. You know, we're all exposed here. I grew up being exposed to, to uh, Tejano and conjunto, mm-hmm. and that's all a part of, you know, your community. And, uh, y- and you can't leave Texas without some of that being in you and at least connected to it when you hear something similar to it anywhere else. I think that's what makes um, Texas musicians really, really different from any other place. And
1: uh also what keeps us here? There's a lot of great Texas musicians that just don't leave. You, uh, mm-hmm. it's a big place. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. Are you the, the are you the second largest state? Are, is California bigger than Texas? Yeah, I think it might be.
7: Mm-hmm. Might be. You may have to look in the
0: graphic
7: history. <laughs> yeah. You know, look for
0: that one. Mhm. Yeah. But,
7: um, yeah, as far as the message, you know, and what I want people to know, I'm not sure, I, I guess that's what you're uh, you're getting at. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to keep what I, I record not necessarily personal, but though know, some of it ends up being that way, mm-hmm. uh, but just something uh, musically and, and melodically that someone can connect with. You know, and then it's... I'm, I'm talking about something deep. It may be just a, a note or the way something is sung that moves me, mm-hmm. you know. And, and there's always that thing that people talk about, about Aretha Franklin or any other, you know, great instrumentalist or vocalist. They can sing or play the, you know, the, 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 the Chinese menu and, and it sounds great. But so just something about the way they they. they say what they have to say
0: mm-hmm.
7: and I think um, what I try to do is to in- interject what I'm feeling into uh, every note and that uh, somebody can connect to that and uh, I know I've done what I'm here to do Mhm.
1: yeah yeah and, and so who are you bringing with you um, uh, to California oh yeah
7: you did ask me who I'm, I'm on the road with I'm not on the road with any of the musicians I record with. Mm-hmm. Because um, I must <laughs> no. just say I can't afford it. Yeah, I would say that would be very expensive.
4: <laughs>
7: yeah. And uh, yeah, they don't travel as you know as much like, as they like to. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like them to travel. Right. Um, I'm traveling with my. I call of my family band. I have uh-huh. Samantha Banks
0: mm-hmm. from
7: mm-hmm. Houston on drums. Oh. Uh-huh.
1: KS. Uh huh. Yeah, a woman. Yeah.
7: Nothing. Nice. Yeah, my, my rhythm section is uh, all women. Um, oh. Yeah, the bass player is uh, my cousin. Oh. We found out we're cousins.
1: <laughs> you just found out you were cousins.
7: Yeah, we do. We found out uh, about a year and a half ago that we were cousins. That's cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's one of those things where somebody goes to a funeral. Uh, oh. And, you know, you start talking to people and they ask, what are you doing now? And oh, I'm playing with Ricky Carlson. What are you supposed she came to such and such, and you talked to her, and like, oh, you know, you, you, you're one of those. <laughs> uh, you know, her grandfather uh, was my grandfather's cousin, so mm-hmm. we're cousins down the line.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: So, yeah, uh, Tanya Richardson on bass, and uh, Samantha on drums, and uh, I think, we'll see, we can I think I'm bringing Scotty, Scotty Miller. Mm-hmm. Scotty Miller is from uh, Minneapolis, and he's a keyboard player, v 3 extraordinaire, mm-hmm. that uh, I met on the Bo Diddley tour. Oh. Yeah, he was uh, in Bo's band.
0: Mm-hmm. And Scotty
7: has a great uh, solo career himself, playing uh, Barrow House Blues, mm-hmm. and Chicago Blues, and great singer-songwriter, and he's got a new CD coming out as well. Mm-hmm. We call him Scotty Bones. Who he is.
1: Mhm. Oh, that is awesome. That's really awesome. Are you um, are you working on anything new?
7: You know, uh, I'm not. I've been traveling so much. I'm really having a great time concentrating on just uh, just the ride. You know, having yeah. a good time with that. Mhm and incorporating all of this new material that I had to learn really quick into, <laughs> into my set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not writing right now, and uh, it, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. I know I will real soon because I'm about to have some time off, and, mm-hmm. and I tend to uh, kind of go in and start creating when that happens. But right now, I'm just enjoying the ride.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like, um, you know,
1: the way... the the lyrics and um, and truth and it's amazing how you know you know you telling me how you wrote it. I mean that it was it was almost like in the moment and and it was the first draft <laughs> yeah. and and there it is and it's the title track. You know you talk about how truth isn't hard to find. It's right where you are and you know and a lot of these pieces in this particular um, album you know almost tell you like just be still. For a moment And and whatever you need To be there With you Because it's already There with you Mm -hmm. But we're just Racing around so much We don't find it We can't find it And uh, And yeah I just love Eric Bibb And I just Like I said Love seeing you all together And and I became An immediate fan Of yours (laughs) That's great Yeah So now I've got to Get all your CDs too (laughs) So next time we speak We can talk about You know Sort of like Sort of do a stroll Through you know,
0: Ruth Foster,
1: <laughs>
0: your discography.
7: I'd love that. I really would. Yeah, and, uh, I appreciate you getting that. With, what truth is about? I, I do still get people who come up to me and they just, they want me to just tell them what it is, what mm-hmm. you are saying. But you know, truth is, it's, it's in there. Mm-hmm. It's just, like you said, you you been still long enough, you, you'll find out who you who you are and, and what you're here for, what you're about.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: And it may be really, really simple. May surprise
1: you how simple it is. yeah yeah that that's that's what I got too, is that it is simple, we make things harder, <laughs> but no, it's not hard at all, <laughs> no, it
0: does. yeah,
1: yeah, um, you know the uh the song um uh, uh, in the middle, you know, with um you know all these great affirmations, you know, you know that our mother told us, and our grandmother and our grandfather and our aunties, you know, it's like yeah we we already know all the things we need to know. <laughs> Yeah. And we don't know that Somebody else does and We heard it. That's right. And,
7: you know, that somebody is real close to you. Mm -hmm. Somebody you think is gone, but they're
1: still speaking to you in so many ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and then I I really love that line in in his, uh, in that particular one, you know, sort of stay balanced. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, keep your love in the middle. And then, I, oh, I just love the one that you have on here, um, uh, the one I love, Don't Come Easy, When It Don't Come Easy, oh my God, every, that was like my anthem for like a month or Because <laughs> I was going through some stuff and like, and so I told my partner, you need to listen to this song. <laughs> and I was playing it on my radio show and I said, you need to tune in and listen to this song. Yeah, because yeah, boy, you have some really great stuff on this CD, on this album. It's just
0: oh,
1: it's fabulous.
7: Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really
1: am. I really am. And I'm like so happy that, you know, we're speaking and uh look forward to meeting. I was too chicken to come up and say hi. <laughs> oh, never see that. Yeah. yeah I never do that again. Just come up and say hi. Mm-hmm.
7: It may take
0: a while to get to me sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, you had a
1: lot of admirers around. <laughs> Yeah, but I just sort of stood off to the side and watched them get their autographs and said, Oh man, she was
0: so good. Oh my
1: God <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and they went home with, with that in my heart and just happy with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I'm
7: laughs> a- that, well great.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Well thank you so much. You're very welcome. Yeah, and uh, I'm gonna be in Austin, so I won't be able to see you. when you know, when when um when you're in California, um, but I hope you you have a safe tr- uh journey and it's a great concert because I know it's gonna be fabulous. Thank you. I look forward to
7: it, and um, you know, when, when you're here, have a good time, enjoy my town.
1: Oh, certainly will. It's really beautiful there. It's really nice.
7: It is.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna do a. I'm not gonna rent a car. I'm gonna just. Uh, learn Austin on my bicycle. I'm gonna rent a bike. Oh really
0: though? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, yes. It's like okay, we are gonna walk
1: and bike. We are not going to drive anywhere.
0: <laughs> Even yeah,
1: that's a way to get around.